You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. to grind the hardcore podcast i'm patrick i'm bob i'm tom and joining us today i'm kate and i'm emma uh thank you both very much for joining us pat what did you start the recording on usually you clap it sounded like you might have hit like a timbale uh, I hit the uh, folding table of the type that you would use at a uh, Polish community center. Uh, <laughs> Got it. Okay. That, like a bingo that is, table? Yeah, that, that's my desk. Uh, I think you guys will be proud to know that I have uh, summarized my office. Uh, everybody that gives a shit about my life, I after six months away from upstate New York, I'm back in upstate New York. Anybody that's looking for me, you now know where to find me. Uh, and... I have my office, which is uh, my parents' garage, uh, and I have I have summarized it, uh, meaning that I have put a mosquito net in. Uh, Tom, I know that you uh, had never got around to reading Watchmen, but you've seen the movie, right? Yes, and okay, I started so, watching the TV program. Okay, so there's a okay. famous there's a famous line in it uh, that gets referenced. It's one of the more pop culture lines. Is it the Rorschach right? line? Yes. And so for anybody that doesn't know, there's a line where Rorschach, who's a small guy, but a violent uh, sociopath is, uh, is uh, away in prison and he's being terrorized. Uh, but then it becomes clear that there's, there's really nobody scarier than him. And it, he gives the line, you're not locked up in, I'm not locked up in here with you. You're locked up in here with me. And that's the reality of my uh, situation because I made this mosquito net and then there's apparently a, a wasp's nest in the garage. Oh, so so I, I'm I'm st- I'm stuck with the wasps. They just fly around me. So if you they're me, Rorschach, and you're I yeah. thought you were trying to be like I'm Rorschach. And you're like the no. guys that are getting terrorized by Rorschach. That's exactly right. Got it. So <laughs> so if you hear me during the the uh, course of this <laughs> Please, podcast, your life? if I you know that sound that people make when when an insect buzzes them, uh, like, whoa, yeah, yeah. Uh, you might hear that. Looking forward to it. Yeah, I hope so. <laughs> Uh, let's let's get into sponsor stuff uh, before we start start this episode. Yeah, let's let's do that. Uh, big shout out to our other two sponsors today: to Live a Lie Records and Death of Shank. Hit their respective web stores, support them. But today, we've got our other two friends, uh, Patrick. Why don't you start with Run for Cover? So, Run for Cover has a variety of stuff that uh, our listenership surprises us by loving because some of it is we're a hardcore podcast. Obviously a lot of our listeners uh, have diverse tastes, but sometimes we pigeonhole our own listeners and think that they're not going to be uh, into some of the more mellow stuff. And then we hear immediately back from them that they love it. So, uh, you know, there's no, 
God bless all of you. But I'm going to now sell you on a thing that should speak directly to who we think our listener often is. And uh, that's the band Narrowhead. Uh, they have a record out. Uh, Bob, help me out. Is it in pre-order or is it is it up? It's out. Pre-order singles are up right now. Okay. So l- let me talk about this for a second. Um, the alt thing, uh, it is up to you if you still think it's refreshing or if you think it's whack, if, if you're over it. Uh, I'm a beneficiary from it because that's sort of the lane uh, that Drug Church operates in. Uh, and <clears throat> I like what a lot of the bands in that scene are doing. Now, Narrowhead is one of the ones that uh, we've been told for the uh, last couple of years that we've got to play with. We've got to play with. And whenever somebody tells me I got to play with something, I always go, never going to listen, don't care, get away from me. Uh, in the same way that people do that with podcasts, you know, mm-hmm. or, or, or books or anything. Uh, so here's the deal with Narrowhead, everybody. It is properly alt. It's not just uh, a, you know, a new shoegaze post pop punk band with, uh, that uses a, a phaser on one part. It is, it is properly alt. Uh, if you are a fan of anything from Ned's atomic dustbin to sponge, you could find something in this that will appeal to you. It is, uh, more aggressive than I think, uh, than I think is being sold to us. Uh, it, it is properly aggressive. Uh, if you like drug church, if you like angel dust, if you like gouge away, if you like, any of the bands in that scene, if you like culture abuse, if you like any of the bands in that scene, but wish that everything was a little bit more drenched, Narrowhead is your fucking band. Uh, I, this gets my highest possible recommendation because if I'm going to be ignorant for a second, I understand it. And I don't always understand everything that we pump on this. It's for, sometimes for me, it's like, oh, 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 that's cool. I don't know what the references are. This one, I know the references, and I love them quite a bit. So uh, everybody, I urge you strongly to check that out from Run For Cover. So everyone go check out the Narrowhead 12th House Rock uh, double LP, I believe. Yep. Um, you can pre-order that. Is that right? Double LP, buddy. Oh, I, Run For Cover, if you think you're not getting pressured after this, uh, <laughs> you know, I got a new uh, self-defense record coming. Let's, For a dude who, appreciates, yeah, dude who appreciates brevity, you've got a uh, – double LP fetish um, run for cover records.com. Tom, what is that promo code? Axe to grind Patrick. What you got to do? Spell it out. Uh, get your discount. Check it out. Um, Emma and Kate. Hello? When I do this, the second I'm, I'm about to do the ad read. I'm going to go to you guys for the, um, for the ax to grind, spell it out. So, so just, just so you're ready. We're going to do that. All right. So we're going to spell out X to gray. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Oh, you'll, no. you'll, you'll hear it. So don't worry. Um, I'm going to talk a little bit about our buddies, Closed Casket Activities, who have a record coming out for the band Unreal City. Uh, the record is called Cruelty of Heaven, comes out August 21st. First single comes out today. Um, it's called War Behind Bars. Uh, Patrick, why don't you go ahead and play that right now? Really I forgot to die. 
So yeah, that um, that is a band who I think does integrity the right way. Absolutely. Uh, I think everyone on this call and, and who's listening at home, well, you know, maybe not everyone, but there was a wave. There was an integrity wave where there were a ton of bands trying to sound like integrity. And some did, some didn't, some came really close. But what Unreal City nails that I think many don't get, and, and please, let me also say, this isn't just integrity worship. They really are taking um, a certain style and adding their own flair. But the element from integrity that I think they actually hit is the level of attitude that you hear in that kind of music. And I think that's what, when you get this like darker, kind of grimy, but, but metal edges, hardcore, but still hardcore, when you lose the attitude, it gets monotone. It gets real plain and bland to me. And Unreal City, especially on this song, they just, they just nail it. I feel like there's energy kind of pulsing off of it. Um, so this record is up for pre-order starting today. So any of you who are 6 a.m. listeners, Eastern Standard Time, it might not be up, but listen to the track, go check it out. Um, this is actually, uh, the layout has the final painting from Stephen Kastner before he passed away. So, uh, that's kind of a cool little art note. Um, so, uh, you're going to go to closedcasketactivities.com. Emma, you are going to enter the promo code. Axe to grind. Great. And Kate, what do you got to do with that code? Got to spell it out. Boom. Great job. You nailed it. We have had guests who can't do it. Y'all did perfect. Thank you so much. Um, God, everybody. Uh, had hosts that can't do it. Oh, oh. I mean, it's taken us. I mean, we're, we're 100 and counting Patreon episodes. We're, we're a lot of episodes deep and we, we flub left and right. How's everybody doing today? Killing it. We're awesome. good. Killing it. I don't know if that's an answer. Tom, <laughs> I, I'm in my parents' garage. What do you mean I'm not killing it? <laughs> I don't know if everyone else can can kind of get that. Like We actually, Patrick and I just did a, a brief Skype video session beforehand. He had his hat on backwards, had some licorice in his hand, like clutched, and uh, a big Mountain Dew next to him. So I would say he is killing it. Yeah, I'm going to play a uh, retro-styled uh, JRPG for 12 hours when I get off the, uh, the call. How is it to see Frank? Oh, uh, yeah. So I think I'm responsible. I think I gave him the COVID already. I'll be honest. I, I, I think it's, a, it's a sh- going to be a short uh, visit. Uh, because he'll be deceased, uh, but it is. Oh my god, uh, dude! It, it, it's uh, well, he, he's old, Tom. Uh, it, it's it's he's going good. I taught life. him his what, last wish was to see Patrick, so he got it. Well, what a sad last wish! I I taught him uh, the words simp and cuck today. Uh, <laughs> so, so he's he's ready for the internet. Oh man. <laughs> Very cool. Did you say like he's a simp for your mom? I did, and, and after I explained it, he he, uh, he he wanted to know what was wrong with that. He he love he says he loves Aww. her. Oh, that's wholesome. Yes, I, I guess. You, I still like, call did he not have his? Well, I guess cock is only internet right wing talk, right? Like they don't say that on TV, right? Oh. No, it's, so cuck is so fun to say that it's just pro- proliferated across the. You're absolutely right. It started as like a total like 4chan slash are the Donald sort of existence. Right. And now it's just fun to say. And also like 
there was, if we're just being honest, like when the entire population realized that using that word with an F that, that means gay people is no longer kosher. People, people wanted a word for when people would say that, but didn't mean it to be hateful towards gays. You know what I mean? They wanted something to, to fill that space. And is that what that is? Yeah. For a lot of conversations, that's what that is. So so like, that's, that's why it went across the, across the political spectrum because like nobody wants to admit this, but if you're over a certain age, it, it, it really, it didn't matter how woke you were, how proto woke you were. That word was somewhere around you, whether you used it or not. And now it's been like totally phased out, which is a benefit to everybody, but people want a word. You know what I mean? People will, a word will fill the gap when no word exists. And I think that, I think that's where cuck is. You know, that's a, that's an interesting thing to mention, like is just kind of for broad conversation forever for our guests too. But like, when did that, did it feel like that word, the, the, the hard F if we will, really got phased out in terms of like casual slang. Do you think it's still thrown around by people? Because like, I'll be real. Like I don't get it in, in private, like even from people who 10 years ago would still casually do it. Not at all. You know, it's something that, that I feel pretty glad to have erased from my vocabulary well over a decade ago um and you know it shows my age but but also like feel really good that that it's like yeah you know that's just not something you just say all the time but like for each of you when do you think that left the hey i am around people who say this sphere i'm gonna go six i'm gonna go six years ago uh i think that it uh, is now pure shock. People people will still use it, but they use it to get a reaction uh, versus the way that it was casually tossed around. That, at least in my circles, that probably ended six years ago, if I had to guess. Yeah. Um, Kate or Emma, how about, is that a word that was ever like, do you remember a time when that was casually thrown around in circles that you were in? And was that something that you like feel uncomfortable about look back at and think of as like, wow, how did I put up with this? Or did you like, were, was there a like hard line from jump for you? Honestly, like that word always made me uncomfortable. Um, and I never really feel like anybody used it around me. Um, because they know that that word makes me uncomfortable. Um, however, like just as like a norm in our society, I would probably go five or six years. Um, and now it's just been completely reclaimed as far as I've seen by the gay community, which I think is awesome. Um, yes. So yeah, it was never really a normal thing for like my friends to really throw around often. Um, at all, um, especially here in the scene. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think it was, I literally was like, okay, 2014, which I guess that's six years ago now, but same thing where I think that's when I know I was still in 2014 telling people like, nope, you can't say that. Like not an option. Like, uh, but I love to see it being reclaimed and I'm here for it. Fuck yeah. Yep. 
Yeah, and I mean uh, the 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 way we got to that is kind of funny, but but I, I I think it's important for people to talk about and feel like like yo I I was a a teen. I mean, let me please preface this. I was teen. Uh, the last time I was a teen was almost twenty years ago. So, uh, but but it was it was thrown away around in that way that was like, hey, this is shocking and and like casual and. I look back at that and I'm embarrassed by it and think about it like, yeah, you know what? That wasn't cool in 1998. And it was totally in that like South Park way of like, oh no, I don't mean that. Like, you know, but, 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 but as you get older, you start to go, wait, it doesn't matter that I didn't mean it like that. That's almost part of the problem is that it's in your language. It's in your vernacular as this like casual, like throwaway. Um, and I, you know, part of it too, is I think that we're seeing people now younger and younger who it's like, yo, from jump. It's like, no, that's not, it never was and never will be, which is, is like a huge step forward. I think just speaking at population at large. Can, can wow. I offer can I offer a counterpoint that I don't want anybody to interpret as me caping for the use of a, of a, <laughs> of a slur. Uh, this has been on my mind a lot lately because uh, these are very. This is a very political moment, and I'm watching people on social media who I think are some of the straight up worst human beings I've ever met in my life. I'm watching them repeat all of the things that you're supposed to say at this moment, and it's got me very much in my feelings about how sometimes appearing right and being right are very different things. And I almost, almost everybody, uh, kind of regret the fact that our language is like, now it's very hard to tell who is a little fucked up. <laughs> it's, it's very, it's very difficult because when everybody is under the same social pressures to, to speak correctly, uh, you kind of don't get a feel for anybody anymore because like I said, I'm, I'm watching people that are, by any by any measure, not just like some bitterness I got, by any measure, kind of bad people are really up on the language and really like doing everything the right way. So again, I don't want anybody to think I'm caping for for bad words, quote unquote, but uh, I'm I'm in my feelings about words lately. I, I, I don't know how I feel about them. I'm I'm like a little frustrated with them to be honest. Like frustrated that everybody's got them right, but every but not everybody's doing right, you know? No, I think you bring up a good point. It's actually kind of scary. I know for in the Pacific Northwest um, specifically that um, there was an article a couple of years ago that came out that talked about how like there's these white supremacists within um, like Amazon and these big like corporate companies out here, Microsoft, who play the part and they get these uh, positions of power within these big companies and they have this like game face on about, you know, using all the proper words and um, like appearing on the surface level, being very emotionally intelligent and like woke, I guess, but actually using that as a tool to um, perpetuate their messed up values and like continue to, whether it be hiring people who they think they are, qualified xyz um it's pretty messed up actually and it's a good thing to i think look out for because you know 
there's some pretty strict norms out there now where it's like, hey, we're going to get called out. It's not good. Like, get your stuff together. But um, people are using it to their advantage to, like white supremacists, for example, are using it to their advantage to, you know, connect and appear on the surface level to be a, a decent human being. But in reality, doing some really messed up things that just keep perpetuating the same things we see for years and years on end. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of what like I, I'll just put this out there to our listeners uh, as, as a thing to remember in the same in the same spirit. A sociopath with an above average IQ can acclimate themselves to any sort of social norm that gets them through. And that's that's not me telling you that you should be afraid of your neighbors or afraid of your coworkers. Everybody's out to hurt you or whatever, and they've all got a mask on. I, I'm not trying to put that in anybody's head, but what I'm trying to say is like. Uh, it's no guarantee simply that somebody uh, repeat the lines adequately. You you know what I mean? It's it's, uh, there's a lot of people out here who like, I'll give an example from, from uh, sort of my career shit is uh, I I know somebody who caught another person in our field out there just sort of lacking on, on like their woke take on something. And said, oh, I can do this and jumped in and just sort of stepped on that guy's neck to as a career thing. Uh, but really just honestly playing a rhetorical game, like the way that I might argue with somebody in a van, you know what I mean? But, but it was for the effect of like, oh, I'm going to kick this guy's career down a peg. And, uh, that sort of shit happens too. Not, not everybody who says, who says the right thing, uh, has the right intentions, I guess is what I'm driving at. Right. So hold on, let, let, let me get this for our listeners. I'm going to attempt to cut any uh, uh, sort of gaps, but we've got a full fucking party right now. We've got five human beings in this, in this chat. So if people don't know where to start, uh, don't be angry at us. It's, it, it's, uh, <laughs> it's, it's, th- this is uh, 2020 COVID radio where we are all very separate and uh, occasionally uh, are scared of stepping on each other's lines. Yes. <laughs> Way to prove the point. <laughs> so what, what do we want to talk about today, everybody? Oh, that's a great question. Yeah. So um, can I, uh, you know, let me start. I'll explain how it came up. Is that sure. cool? Okay. That sounds great. Okay. So we were going back and forth. Um, I've known Kate for a couple of years. Uh, you know, just discussing some stuff that was going on. Um, and then we kind of had a larger conversation about what was going on in hardcore in the last like two to three weeks. And, um, you know, we were sort of like, you know, Kate and I were talking about like, did you ever think about like discussing it on the podcast? And I was like, we always do, but it's like weird coming from like me, Bob and Pat. And like, we also didn't, uh-huh. You said what's been going on. Would you, would you expand on that? So people know. Sure. So there's a lot of people getting um, outed for being, um, you know, on on a spectrum of um, sexual predators, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. Um, and you know, it's kind of it was like the last two weeks. A lot of people were, you know, were coming out with their stories and what what, what went on with them, you know, and kind of naming, you know, the the um, the people who did it and stuff like that. So we were like having a conversation and like. You know, 
we always try to kind of, you know, on the podcast, we discuss, um, you know, like current events, really. Yeah. But it's always kind of weird, you know, like we can only speak so much from our kind of side of the uh, of like the spectrum. And, you know, and uh, Kate and I talked about this, like we would always love to have other voices on, but we don't want anyone to feel pressured into kind of coming on and speaking of something that may not be comfortable for them to speak on and feel like obligated in any way. Yeah. And also there's another element there that, uh, it, it, it's not just the personal nature of some of this stuff. It's also, I, I don't want Kate or Emma to feel like we're leaning on them to be the voice of women. Do you know what right. I'm saying? And, right. and, of course, of course. And, and that's like a, that's a tricky situation for running a podcast that, that, you know, once a week is a frequent podcast, but it's not so frequent that you can uh, respond to things in real time. So like, f- for example, if, if, uh, if by some, by some happenstance, uh, I end up as basically essentializing uh, uh, by virtue of what the women on this podcast say today, we can't respond tomorrow. You know I mean? It's just going to be a lame tweet where I go, Oh my bad, blah, blah, blah. So it, it, it's a sticky, it's a sticky circumstance where, Oh, uh, Hey Kate, Hey Emma, would you mind talking on this? Is this something you're comfortable talking on? And then it's like, yo, we don't want our listeners. We presume they're more savvy than this, but, but not everybody. We don't want anybody thinking that Kate and Emma have all the answers, nor are they positioning themselves. Like they're the fucking police on this. It's, it's, it's a tricky conversation when you want to include some, some other voices on a topic, but you don't want anybody to walk away either feeling tokenized or, Conversely, you don't want anybody looking at those people and going, "Oh, that that is now my model for behavior because I heard it from I heard it from the horse's mouth." But there's a million horses in the world. There's a million perspectives, and we we got two today. So uh, that's kind of our intro uh, for Kate and Emma. And by the way, uh, ladies, we could talk about literally anything. If you want to talk about the last turnstile record, we can talk about that. <laughs> no, I appreciate that. I think it's important yeah. to say that we're not like Emma and I, we're not experts in this topic and whatsoever, but you know, we've been around long enough to see these things come up over and over again and you know, care enough to want to make sure that we can do whatever we can to make sure these things aren't perpetuated and keep happening in the scene that we both care about even, you know, as we keep getting older and um, you know, we're in our careers and all that good stuff. I think it's, it's super important to me to be able to have a, have a discussion about it, I think. So I appreciate Tom, like opening up the avenue for us to be able to talk today. But like, just like Pat said, like, definitely, we're not experts, but we just want to obviously have this conversation happening and be heard. And um, it's important. So we need to be talking about it. But it's hard. Yeah, I want to echo that as well um, and just say, too, that, like, Kate and I have planned on creating a platform um, where you guys, anybody listening to this, if you feel like we're not talking about something that, you know, you feel like we should be talking about or if you want to discuss different topics that we've been talking about, then we plan on having a platform so we can have these discussions as well. Um. Kate, I don't know if that's something you want to yeah. like kind of introduce now or later or. Definitely. I think it's important. Um, so when we were planning for having this discussion, um, we thought it'd be a good idea to have some 
um, continuing education, some resources available afterwards. So we created a little page where people can access, you know, different, whether it be research or media, um, different literature, just, you know, have an open platform to where we can have this discussion about specifically for the hardcore scene, because uh, it's hard. Like when I was even looking for articles about, you know, um, because this keeps happening. It's not like it's like a new thing at all whatsoever. Right. You know, the, 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 the earliest thing I could, I think the article I have is from like 2016 when um, the Pacific Northwest, I think, took, we were doing some great things out here in the scene, creating workshops and education around uh, sexual violence. And that's like the most news you'll hear about um, this topic within the hardcore scene. So I think it's important. And we want to just have some sort of platform where people could go on a national, global level, level whatever it be, to um, either get resources, to learn more, just to have that option to click on something and, you know, see what, um, whether you speak to your interests or just some sort of something where everyone can go to get more information on this because like, we're not the experts and we just want to make sure that there's information out there and we have hopefully have it set up to where people can suggest content for us to add and just make it be informative and really restorative, I think is our goal, but it's, it's a new thing. It's a, you know, we're responding in real time to this, but we just want to be able to, we keep seeing these trends over and over again. And we want to hope to, not have to see them in the future and to really just educate the community that we're all a part of and been a part of for so long and make sure that we don't have to keep having these yearly cycles or two-year cycles of, you know, like I, my, myself having to go on Twitter and be like, hey, guys, stop, like, supporting this person. They're like, they've hurt me, they've hurt others, and we hope that, you know, it does some good, but... Just that disclaimer, we're not experts in this topic at all whatsoever. Yeah, and we definitely want this to be a collaborative effort within the community, not just us, you know, having this platform. We want, you know, everyone to feel like they can be involved for sure. I love that. That's great. Uh, so I, I, uh, I know I'm going to get killed for attempting to lead a conversation. Uh, <laughs> where we have two women come on to give their perspective. But if it's all right, I'd like to tee up a couple questions uh, and just get your point of view. Of course, uh, you are the podcast expert. So, yeah, uh, we're both new to this debate, but I appreciate it. Um, uh, can I get your perspective oh. on what might be a dummy question? Uh, is hardcore any worse than the general population uh in in regards to uh however whatever language we want to use i don't know i don't know if we want to say sexual misconduct if we want to say uh creepo behavior whatever whatever yeah. we want to say it is uh is hardcore worse or or and don't get me wrong it's not necessarily you know like your answer here doesn't mean that we don't got to focus on hardcore or it's all good if you say it's not as bad no. or it is, but but it's just this is like part of the dialogue online that I'm fascinated by because when this latest round of uh, people getting guillotined online happened, people really came out and s spoke from their experience and said hardcore is way worse than 
than than my normie life now. I uh, I experienced nothing but gaslighting from people after years. Blah blah blah. And it was all this stuff that I was like, oh, that's that's really interesting because uh, now of course if somebody was doing bad behavior, they wouldn't necessarily invite me. But it's not the sort of thing that I'm exposed to with any frequency in hardcore. And that might just be because I don't got a ton of fucking friends. But uh, normie life feels (laughs) a little bit more predatory. But but there is something to be said for a scene being naturally a bit of a breeding ground for that behavior. Right. So – uh, I don't know. I, I'd was that a question? The question, yeah, the question was, is hardcore more or the same or less predatory sexually or creepo behavior, however we want to put it, than, than you know, outside of the hardcore community? That's a good, good question. I think uh, it's impossible to have the correct, perfect answer on that. But I think that um, – whatever community you're part of, whatever music community, whatever you identify with, I think it's important to be aware of uh, the power structures in place and, um, you know, with the behaviors of the people who kind of control a lot of the dialogue and what gets out. And I think it's an interesting time right now because I think we're seeing it expanding to other communities, um, like especially in this time right now where, you know, you have the wrestling community, you have the gamer community and the hardcore community all coming out to say like, Hey, this is a problem everywhere and we need to address it. Like we need to stop getting back to this point where we're just calling people out and canceling them. And we need to actually make change. Cause it's like, we're just going to have the same people or the same type of people keep perpetuating these behaviors or, you know, it's just, you have to eventually hopefully do something about it. So I don't know if it's necessarily worse than others. I can't speak for that, but I know that I don't, it's hard to meet a woman in the scene who hasn't been, you know, violated or like hurt from another person in the scene. So I don't know if Emma has a different experience. Um, Not necessarily. I would really say that it's subjective to each person's experience. You know, I've had horrible experiences when I was in high school and I've had, you know, horrible experiences in the hardcore scene. And, you know, it just kind of surrounds us um, in society, like all societies. However, I do think that hardcore is supposed to be like the antithesis of like what normal society is supposed to be like. I don't, I think that we should hold ourselves to a higher standard. Um, And I think that these are things that we should have figured out a long time ago. Um, You know, uh, I don't know. I'm drawing a blank here. So, uh, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. No, I wanted to say, I think my follow-up question is, you know, we see, you mentioned the variety of different you know, subcultures or, or interest communities kind of thing where, where you're seeing this more and more, um, where, where there's a platform, there's platforms where people can speak out about negative experiences. And, uh, and I think about hardcore cause this is the one kind of where ax to grind lives and, you know, uh, the audience that we're speaking to certainly, 
Do you think that the experience of this kind of behavior prevents it from being a more diverse, inclusive place? Because I look around and, and it's, it's, I think that punk hardcore music, it, at its best, it does look like a really different kind of place in certain places. But, you know, a lot of times you look around and it's still a boys club and the majority of the people at the shows are, are guys. And, and I wonder about what all the reasons are for that. And then I cycle through and see the level of commentary from from people who are involved who are saying, hey, this is my experience and this sucks. And then I see a good number of people who are like, yeah, I was pushed up. I got out of this music scene because of this kind of behavior. And I think about how frequent that is or, or not frequent, but you know, I think it is probably decently frequent that people come in, experience this, and are like, I'm not interested in this. And I, I want to see if either of you have a feeling on that. Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I started going to shows when I was like 13. My parents would drop me off at a show and like we lived in rural Washington, like just crap town, not a lot of exposure to anything. I didn't even have internet. And, you know, like going to shows was everything. It was um, a big part of me. And it was funny that it wasn't until high school that I, I switched to a new high school that had a larger community. And I started getting bullied for my beliefs within the hardcore uh, community and you know like where were you at the show where weren't you and I just remember thinking like why do you care so much about me doing this one thing like I maybe didn't have a ride or xyz and I, it's a very um you know involved culture you know people want to be going to shows attending being um you know as involved as possible but without having the empathy and the understanding of the barriers of you know xyz and we all just want to be like the most, you know, out there and the front man and, um, you know, the most dedicated. But at the end of the day, that's not a reality. I feel like that a lot of people can have as easily. Um, but I think I do have a unique experience in the sense that, you know, I kind of like went in and out of my experience with hardcore where I was super involved in it because it's the only thing I had as a mm -hmm. community and I was so desperate for a community and I loved everything about shows and how it made me feel and then you know I started getting bullied before this in high school and I was like this doesn't make me feel good getting bullied like I love going to shows I love this music but you know obviously these people don't want me there and there's that weird I don't know if everyone experiences but it's like okay if other people are you know, being this intense, like clearly they're the experts on it. So I'm the jerk here. I need to just like drop out and not go anymore. Um, and then I would slowly like have more friends draw me back in and X, Y, Z, but uh -huh. it's, a, it's, a, I don't know. I've had an interesting experience with coming in and out of our <clears throat> It's really easy to just want to like cancel all of your accounts and just like turn off from, uh, the negative energy that can happen, I think, because it's so pop. It feels so good. It's feels so great when you're in there in person. Uh, you're at a show. It's like, yes, this is everything. Like, but then you go into this like online culture or like outside of the show, outside of the venue, and it can feel really negative and 
like it's very easy to not feel like you belong part of that community. Absolutely. Um, yeah, a lot of negativity. There's also, I feel like a lot of pressure, especially I started going to shows when I was 16. There was a lot of pressure for me who was, you know, I was young and there weren't a lot of girls at the time. And so, you know, I felt like I had to try hard, you know, just to like be accepted by everybody. Uh And there were points, you know, throughout the last decade of going to shows where, you know, I would feel really anxious or nervous before going to shows because, uh, there was just a lot of judgment being passed around. And I feel like I've seen a lot less younger kids going to shows these days than back when I was in high school. And, you know, mm-hmm. half of the people in the room were my age. Uh, and I feel like that has a lot to do with it. These kids don't feel like they're welcomed, you know, they're uh, not, they don't really meet people when they're at shows anymore, you know, and um, I, I maybe the internet has a lot to do do with this kind of shift in a way, but there is an incredible amount of pressure. Um, and I want to say, especially for women in the scene to, uh, act a certain way or talk a certain way or look a certain way. Um, and I just don't, I think that that can be toxic occasionally. Yeah, I, I don't think there's uh, – is, so here's the problem I think with so much of what's going to be said today. Uh, everybody's going to agree with you and not realize their complicity and not upholding the thing that you're saying. Correct. So, yeah. so, so like everybody I think that just heard what you said is going to nod in agreement. <laughs> and and I bet many of, them, uh, many of them would empathize in experience and go, oh, I also felt pushed out or I also felt – like there was a judgment placement where I didn't know enough, et cetera, et cetera. Sure. But even some of those people may be, may contribute to that feeling for someone else. 100%. I guarantee you. Yeah. 99% of people are doing that same thing. I've even done these things, you know, like as somebody who booked shows, I could have gone up to a new person and said, Hey, like, what's your name? I'm Emma, you know, welcome. And I've, I've tried to be in that headspace where I can do that. But a lot of times, like, you know, I just stick with the people that I know instead of like really opening it up to this kind of community vibe. I think we're all a little bit guilty of doing that in a way. 100%. Like it's so easy, like especially when you're getting like bullied yourself. Like, like I know I had friends who were like on the more normie end of things who I tried to bring to a couple of shows and, you know, like I remember like making fun of them for how they reacted to, you know, someone like XYZ. And it's, it's interesting how uh, the behaviors of, like, the norms of the scenes perpetuate even when you're one who's getting, you know, bullied yourself. It's, like, very easy to just be like, oh, haha, you're new here, um, versus, like, isn't that great? We're learning. It's fun. Isn't it, like, crazy to see this new scene and this new perspective? It can be weird. But there's such a gatekeeping uh you know, insider crew culture, I think that whether it's explicit or not, that every, I would hope that everyone kind of recognizes or at least feels they've experienced. I don't want to hijack the conversation too much, but I feel like people are really comfortable with just going to a show and, you know, 
certain people have want to be involved to a certain extent. But I, when we started doing, um, we haven't talked about this yet, but um, Kate mentioned a few years ago, there was a piece of literature that came out when the Northwest kind of went through a cleansing of all of the abusers, uh, Jim Hesketh, and there's a couple people I could name, but I won't. Um, and we started to do workshops at shows, like consent workshops, where we would, between bands, talk about, you know, what consent looks like and what, you know, a healthy sexual experience looks like. And, you know, we would table at shows and it definitely made people uncomfortable because it was, you know, focused on something in the community that didn't entirely benefit a self image in a way. I kind of felt that vibe from certain people who were like, I'm literally here just to, you know, mosh. So I don't know if that's too much of a segue into a different topic, but no, I think that's great. uh, Yeah. I think it's a good one. I, I, I think that there's, uh, it's undeniable that there's a certain person that wants to go to a show and expose themselves to whatever's being tabled there. And then there's a person that's not interested at all. Mm-hmm. And, and I don't know if either one is wrong or right. I, I know that like many of our listeners believe in hardcore as, as a, uh, uh, like the type of community that has an obligation to that sort of thing. I'm not one of those people. I think that everybody that in the sound of my voice is an individual. And if they're interested, they're interested. Uh, I, I think it's, I, I, so ladies, I, I don't mean to sound totally defeatist here, but whenever these topics come up, uh, I'm, I'm the first guy to throw my hands in the air because it, it feels rather intuitive to me that the person that is engaged in really heinous behavior will not benefit from these measures, but the people on the line, like who might be like, like an example would be somebody who, um, like says untoward shit, but is not physically menacing or, or, or doing anything, but like they're a person who does simply does not get it. That, that person is on the line and maybe would benefit from a lot of like for example, from things happening between songs, between bands, like they, they might benefit from that. Uh, and in a slightly, like, I hope I'm not taking us in too big a direction, but uh, Kate, you said something interesting to me uh, when you you mentioned calling people out. Uh, but then you also uh, mentioned that it doesn't seem to be enough. It seems to be like a, a behavioral thing uh, from jump that has to be corrected. Not, not necessarily just, uh, take an aim at people. And what I'm so, what struck me about this moment, like the last couple weeks of, of, uh, hardcore Twitter is some of these people that I'm seeing get purged or, or pushed out of their communities are like by any stretch, not like on some man shit, but like any measure are kind of on the line, not heinous shit that is now not going to learn. <laughs> and that has me like, the call out aspect, like, look, people get very, they get very boring about the call out thing. It's a, it's a, almost like a stupid online battle, like call out culture, cancel culture, blah, blah, blah. And people argue whether or not these things are effective or whatever. But I feel like it is worth talking about that, like, when you take a proactive uh, approach to uh, this, like, as you said, that, you've, that uh, the Pacific Northwest did a few years ago, that feels more hopeful to me than cancel uh, than canceling people, but both leave me scared that the right person's never going to get reached. And, and, uh, uh, you know, maybe, maybe 
maybe that's a, uh, I guess I'd like to hear your perspective on that. If I'm just being a fucking negative dude, or if you, if you ladies have that concern as well. No, yeah. Well, I think maybe if that person isn't necessarily willing to listen to us, somebody standing behind a table, somebody with a mic in between sets, you know, maybe one of their friends is willing to listen and willing to have that conversation with them and they'd be more open to that. I definitely understand um, feeling apprehensive to talking to a stranger about this kind of stuff because it is hard to talk about, especially if you have been comfortable with your behaviors and you haven't really understood what that means. Um, but you know, maybe like harvesting this community culture where we can have these conversations and hold our people accountable. Therefore, you know, we, we can talk about growth and change instead of promoting fear and shame. Um, and not, you know, there are some people who definitely should no longer be involved because they've just hurt too many people and their presence in the room is, really damaging to the people that they've hurt. But there are also times where we, I feel like we should give an opportunity for people to change. And that's really, it's dependent on the victim, you know, and what they want to see. But um, if we can try to inspire uh, a way or like a program or anything, just kind of a comprehensive, uh, a comprehensive way to have these conversations, then, you know, it's better than what we're doing now, in my opinion. Yeah, I think that's, um, I feel the same way where it's like, okay, I'm, I'm notorious. Like I called out my user on Twitter like five years ago and it like had very little traction. I got gaslit from my uh, user creating a first deleting, doing the classic like, oh, delete all social media presence and then like creating like a random Twitter handle and like gaslighting the people involved and you know, and I kind of, I didn't want to share my story when it first happened. I actually got kind of pressured into sharing my story and it was very uncomfortable for me and I didn't want to. And, you know, I was friends with this person uh, and, you know, like, it, and it was very just like, I don't know, you know, everyone on Twitter, obviously. And it felt very uncomfortable having to put, you know, my experience out there and, you know, just to have so many people that I knew, um, you know, keep supporting that person or, you know, even as something as little as following that person, like it felt like a personal attack, even though I know like consciously, like that person's not like spiting me. They don't like, we're not close enough for them to really be like, oh yeah, that Kate girl, nope, going to keep doing this. But it, it's really interesting, you know, when you experience these things to feel like it's a personal attack, like, oh and I think it's so important to, you know, I've had time. I'm like, I'm in a position of privilege where over the last five years, like I've been able to like go to therapy and work through these things. And I'm so grateful for that, but it just is, it's very telling, like these things are still happening. Like I'm still getting gaslit on Twitter from my abuser. Like I, um, I think it's, you know, there's not, and since then I've, you know, gone into like, I've, gotten a master's in education and all that, you know, X, Y, Z. And I've learned about, okay, yeah, like we can tell, like say someone's bad or X, Y, Z, but if that person's not taking ownership or realizing like the damage they've caused, then they're either just going to drop out of the scene and keep doing it in a different one, or they're going to move or X, Y, Z. It's not actually putting a stop to this, like, 
very dangerous behavior that they may not even, I don't know, like they're consciously aware of it, whatever it be, there has to be that, you know, like that second part of, okay, people are calling me out on my stuff that I've done in the past that's very not okay. What am I going to do forward to make sure that this doesn't keep happening or that I, whatever, like, whether it be go to therapy, but we all know that like going to therapy isn't an equitable practice. Like not everyone can do that. So what does that process look like to make sure that we're listening to these people who are saying like, Hey, you hurt me. Like, what does it look like to acknowledge that? Oh, maybe I didn't feel like I hurt them, but very clearly I did. And how can I make sure that I don't hurt anyone moving forward versus getting canceled and kicked out and then going into another scene and doing the same behavior that's so damaging. It just seems, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I mean, we've actually I, talked about that. Yep. Like, yeah. Kick, kick, the kicking the, kicking the can, yeah, the the kicking the can thing. We talked right, about quite and a now, bit. Like now you're setting up other folks that have no idea what this person is capable of. And then you just, it's just generating a new set of victims and all this sort of stuff. So, but like we were talking, I mean, we had this <laughs> two and a half hour Zoom call about this on Friday. Um, it, you know, it's, we were kind of saying that it's like certain people are irreparable, like the damage that they've done, you just got to go. You know what I mean? And there's, there's nothing that can really be done. But like you were saying, there's like some, like there's a, there's a place for things and like, I don't know, Emma, if you're like comfortable talking about um, what we talked about with that person that was called out and kind of took 100% ownership of it and how the, even that was like kind of an issue. Mm-hmm. We don't have to name names or whatever. You know, if you don't feel comfortable, that's fine. But I mean, that was like I found that really kind of an, like an interesting topic that we were discussing. Um, no, yeah. no pressure. I don't know. I just, I don't want to invalidate the victim's experience at all um, by talking about it. But I did see, I did see a fairly thorough accountability process happen. And this person still got publicly called out, which I understand like that is a way to hold somebody accountable. You can put it out on the internet and make sure that people see it and people know that way, you know, in the future, if somebody decides that they want to be involved with this person, they know that that history is there. Um, but it's, it's really difficult because, um, you know, if somebody is going to fulfill an accountability process and, you know, still get shit canned for lack of a better word, um, then that still promotes this fear and the shame of what's the point of admitting that I did these things even though the point of admitting that you did those things and owning up to it is to become a better person and to, um, you know, it's, it, the purpose is for the victim. Uh, but I don't know. It's just, it's really difficult to, to try to navigate, you know, when somebody should be 86th or when, you know, a full accountability process can be, you know, done and somebody can actually change. Um, I don't really know if I want that to be published, but I, I'll think about it um, sure. just because I know, I don't know if this, I, I don't want to invalidate this person's experience at all. 
Sure, so, not totally makes sense. So, but, I mean, it's important to talk about, you know, that we should be able to fulfill these accountability processes for sure. Emma, I, I wanted to touch on that because I think it's it's everything you said makes a lot of sense. Um, can you talk about what an account, you know, kindergarten level education, what's an accountability process and what would it look like in a community space like this? Hmm. Well, <clears throat> I feel like a public apology is usually in order. Um, an apology with a victim, definitely. Um, whether or not a mediator should be involved, um, that's always something that is seen as an option. Um, making sure that the community is aware, making sure that the community continues to monitor this person's behavior. Um, if said person, you know, feels if the victim feels like said person needs therapy to address these. Uh, issues and their desire to do these hurtful things to others. Um, what what else do you think, Kate? Am I missing anything? I think it's just, it's really hard because uh, hardcore is such a community and it, it obviously is on a global scale now and it's hard to like put that out there. Like this is the right way or the wrong way, but I think it's, sure. you know, it's, it's obviously it's a scene enough to make it a scene in the first place. And I think it's important, you know, you go to the same shows, you go to the same, you're seeing the same people on a regular basis and that's your community. And I think that being able to own up to um, your previous, it's like, I think it's that accepting that culture of learning and growth and is important, but without invalidating the, obviously the experience of, um, the survivor there, I think it's a hard thing to deal with. And when you don't have like a, you know, I don't want to like give kudos to any regulated system, but when you don't have that kind of formal board of directors or whatever you want to call it, um, there's no real formal process or, you know, quote unquote, right way to take accountability, in action. And that can be hard because I think at the end of the day, you just have to really listen to what the victim's wishes or sorry, what the survivor's wishes are and like what their expectations are. Cause I know like in my example, I like it's, I'm to this to the point where it's like, I just need to like have this person acknowledge like that they messed up and that they clearly have a problem that needs addressed um, that they're, they have been failing to address for so long for so many people, not just myself. And I don't, I don't need anyone to be canceled. I, I just need someone, I need to stop being gaslit. I need someone to like own up and say, Hey, like I have a drinking problem. I clearly have a behavior that I can't account for when I'm sober, when I use the substance. And I think that, you know, it's so individual. It's hard to say like what accountability looks like. I think it's just so important to just listen to the person who's coming out and saying, Hey, this person really hurt me. And like, it's going to affect me for the rest of my life. And this is what my expectations are. Cause I think that person knows exactly what needs to be done, but we just don't get the opportunity typically, at least in my experience to listen to that person and own and be like, yeah, that that's going to happen. Like, whether we know you in this community or not, like we respect and understand your situation. We're going to do whatever we can to honor that moving forward. 
Right. So, and I want to, Oh, sorry. If you don't mind, no, please go, go um, ahead. Emma. I want to reiterate, you know, that I'm not an expert. Um, I've tried to facilitate accountability processes with many of my friends, not many, but you know, a handful of people over the years who are involved in hardcore and have been called out. Um, even recently within the last few weeks. And one thing that I've seen about accountability processes is often the person who has exhibited the predatory behavior is not genuine about actually fulfilling an an accountability process for any reason other than clearing their name and just getting through the process so that their life can go back to normal. And I think that that's something that we really need to focus on and make sure that this person is genuine about their intentions of fulfilling an accountability process. And it's not a self-serving action, if that makes sense. It certainly you does. Know, uh, so this, this topic is, uh, is so Kate, I'm, I'm going to talk about a situation that sounds like it might mirror yours in some ways, but please understand I'm not, uh, speaking broadly about a thing about your thing that I don't know all, everything about. All right. Totally. Uh, so with, I think that again, everybody's going to agree with everything you're saying, but the brass tacks are, are, are kind of, uh, difficult to parse. So like, so for example, when you say, Hey, it's important that you listen to the person that's aggrieved in this situation. It's very likely that they know what they need from the person that mistreated them. Like that sounds intuitive. And that I think everybody will hear what you said and say, that sounds reasonable, except when the rubber meets the road, that could mean anything that that could mean like, for example, the person who who was mistreated might have, this is an example I saw the other day. Um, somebody said, Hey, this person, uh, uh, had a very ugly incident with me. Uh, and then the other person responded with, that's absolutely true. Uh, I, I, I have a drinking problem. I've been working on it and I'm, I should not put myself in situations where I have the potential to hurt people. I'm not going to do that anymore. Uh, but I take accountability for this and I'm sorry. And then the original person, uh, said, I do not accept this apology until you uh, go to until you have years sober in our NAA. And now, Kate, that might strike you as completely reasonable given your situation. But uh, for me, when I was reading that, I was going, well, damn, AA is about as personal a decision as any single person makes in this life. And the idea that somebody would say that I'm not allowed at the table or, I, or, or I'm not valid until I do this thing that like is really specific. Not everybody does AA. Not not everybody that gets sober does AA. That's like a very specific track that people take in life. And so I guess what I'm saying is, it, it, like again, I agree with everything you said, except when I see all the exceptions to it, which which make it a very confused conversation for me. You know, for sure. I think that um, in that situation, like my mind, it sucks that we live in a society where AA is the only, like, I don't, I want I don't want to say proven record or method, but it's the most well-known method. Yeah. Accepted, uh, you know, process of dealing with your addictions. And I think that's a major problem because, you know, it's a very religious process and not everyone's religious. Like if your values don't align with this program that, has all this success records xyz i know like if i were in that situation i wouldn't want to go to aa like i don't align with those values like i don't 
I'm going to feel very out of place, like a fish out of water. And so maybe the, you know, that person, the victim or the survivors thinking to themselves, like, Hey, you need to clearly show me a record of like you dealing with these, uh, behaviors and I need to see some sort of record. And I think that AA traditionally has, you know, the ability to prove that with the token or whatever it be to say, Hey, I've gone 60 days without doing this thing. And I think it's like a, to me, it should be a call to action to the larger picture here of like, we clearly need more programs out there that support, you know, this very, every individual who, is going through a substance abuse or whatever it be a disorder. Cause I think, you know, I come from a family of substance abuse and seeing how that impacts people. And there's, there's not a situation ever that I could see one of them going to an AA meeting and feeling comfortable and actually making change. And so I think that for me, I would want to, okay. So like, how can we support this person and making sure that we're holding this predator like accountable for their problem and without maybe it being a very specific program. Cause again, like when we get so specific with like a program or rehab X, Y, Z, there's so many barriers that come into place to actually accessing and following through with that program. So, you know, how can we hold people accountable without making them go through these systems that society has deemed perfect or the best practice when in reality it might not be the best practice for everyone. I don't know. Yeah. The, the sort of hyper-personal nature of atonement is where my brain trips on so many of the things that I read online, which feel like, much more one size fits all uh, and much more, uh, you know, I, I, I don't doubt for a second that uh, what you ladies have seen is accurate, that uh, a lot of people that go through accountability processes are, are doing it like 30 days for a DUI, you know, like just get through it. I, I, I don't doubt that for a second, but I, I, uh, I also think that it becomes very tricky when it feels like, the community is holding you to a thing. So essentially you are responding to the community and not the person that you mistreated. And that's one that I see quite often. It feels like people are trying to uh, save their skin uh, socially and not necessarily uh, because to me, and and listen, this is, um, I, I, you know, anybody that's mistreated me in life, it's, it's, uh, again, a personal thing, right? So like everybody wants different things from the person that might've done them wrong, but I'm so much more into this sort of like, you approach me with an honest apology. I either accept that honest apology or I do not. And I understand the nature of, of call out culture, maybe not cancel culture, but I understand the nature of call out culture, which is essentially like, Hey, maybe I'm from a marginalized identity. Maybe I, maybe I can't physically beat up the person that did me wrong. I don't have some of the resources that other people do. This is the recourse I'm going to take, which is to bring this to the community's attention. I, I understand that. Uh, but for me personally, like it, it often seems to be at the expense of, uh, of, of an actual interpersonal resolution between 
the aggrieved and the aggriever. You, you, you know, like it, it seems yeah. to on, on many occasions put a wedge between uh, like it, it wedges between resolution is what it feels like to me. Oh, absolutely. But like I could tell you, like I'm I don't know how many years out of this experience and I'm still like, I don't want to freaking see that person, you know, and it's hard because it's like like I I'm grateful that I've gone through whatever, done the work, blah, 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 to like be able to confront that but it's so much work to uh and so it's not easy like I'm grateful I had healthcare that I was able to go to therapy and talk through these processes like this situation and uh it's not like as easy as like I'm going to talk to that person who you know assaulted me it's like you have to get through the grieving processes of uh, like I'm freaking mad like you're horrible human to keep doing this and like you know being a part of this community that i'm also a part of while also saying like hey you're a human and you're capable of making mistakes and you're capable of learning like like i'll be the first one hypocrite to say like i'm an educator and i know people are capable of learning and changing but it's still when it's your the person who hurt you worst like you still have at least me personally i harbor that like you're just talking the talk. You're not really going to do this. I don't want to waste my time addressing you. And then it gets put into the community's hands. And that not is not necessarily uh, the voice either that needs to be heard. It's like, again, it's like we're not, it's a very, it's hard. It's no, there's no perfect situation or perfect way to address it, I think. I also yes. feel like we're in fairly new territory, you know, so it's great that we are having these conversations about like what could possibly work because then it gives us an opportunity to try and we could use that, you know, as proof to, you know, some survivors as to what can work and what doesn't, you know? I I wish it was as easy as um, being able to, you know, just have that conversation with that person and say, Hey, this is what like, I don't like, and this is what I want to see moving forward. But it's so, it's so hard. It's, it's like you get into this, at least from my experience, you get in this situation where you're like, I just want to protect whoever's in interacting with this human moving forward to make sure that they don't have to ever go through what I did. And mm-hmm. like that survival instinct of just saying like, Hey, I just need to make sure people know that this person is not safe. Like maybe in the day-to-day interactions they are, and maybe they're not, but like clearly there's situations where this person has or still cannot um, accept and can, like can't have that conversation about consent, can't realize their behaviors and how they're problematic. And it's hard when you don't have like a, you know, someone to step in and say like, Hey, this person clearly doesn't know how to behave in a way that is acceptable in this community. And here's the process we're going to go through to make sure that they understand. And if they don't like, this is what's going to happen. Um, it's a weird, it's a, yeah, it's a very unique situation. I don't know. And I think like when we were talking, like one of the things that came up that it was kind of like, fuck, I had no idea. Like from your male friends. Yes. You know, and it's kind of like, and what you said was like kind of really rang in my head because it was like, well, fuck, of course. 
right. you know, and if you want to go into that, I thought that was like super helpful. And I think people need to hear that across the board. Yeah. I think that it's easy when you have a friend that has been either currently problematic or problematic in the past or like abusive, I should say, actually, it's very easy to be like, Oh, I wish I would have known. I wish I would have seen the behaviors or been aware of it. But in reality, you weren't the person in the situation who like it was centered towards like in my situation, this person hung around a primarily like straight edge community. Like that was their core friends. Like they're very well known within the scene and, but they were not straight edge. And whenever they would drink, it was, it's without a doubt, like very problematic, very abusive behavior. And unless you're there in the room when it's happening, how would you have known that your friend is perpetuating this behavior or being problematic? And like, you could say like, Oh, well on tour, we spend every waking moment together, but you just have to really think about like, do you like, are you seeing this person in all aspects? Like maybe they act different when they're on like tour or I think it's so easy to be like, how did I not know? But that, I don't know. That felt to me a little invalidating of like, yeah, no, of course you didn't know. You're not the person that it it happened to you. Like it happened to me. Like I experienced it and uh, I don't expect you to understand or have seen the warning signs. Like, because you're the person that ultimately it didn't happen to. Um, right. I know there's a lot of opinions on that. And like, yes, I'm sure there's times where you could see the behavior being perpetuated and like, you can clearly need to step up and say something. But I know in my situation that there's without a doubt, like it would have been very easy because I didn't even realize the behavior was possible until, you know, I was put in a situation where, they were drinking and, you know, X, Y, Z happened. Um, and I think it's important to note that like when you finally come to terms with the fact that this person you may have known for a very long time and admired for a very long time is called out for like very damaging behavior to just be really conscientious of your response, you know, like no one right. to look like the jerk. I didn't realize their friend was a terrible human, but like that's like that's obvious to me. Like you weren't the. Person. What would have felt better? I think quite honestly, like, what would what would be an answer that you you would have felt at least yeah. heard and understood? Like what would what would Just that, that have felt like? like? I'm so sorry that I didn't realize this was happening, and I wish I could have like stopped it sooner or done something about it sooner or ignored right. it sooner. Um, just owning up to the fact that like we're all humans and we're learning constantly. Like we're just dealing with the information we have and it's our responsibility to take that information and do something with it. Some people don't, some people do. And so it's like just owning the fact that like, Hey, I'm not perfect. I'm still learning. And very clearly that I didn't realize my friend was this dangerous of a human. And clearly from what you're telling me, they were. And I need to honor that and respect that because you, your lived experience is real. Like if I wasn't there, like it's impossible to like have that experience of like, I'm there every waking moment with this person. Right. Of course. So much of where it's like, 
I know this person, they would never do that. But it's like, do you? Like, are you there in every waking moment? Like, or are you only there three months out of the year if for every waking moment? Um, and it, like, I get you can say that that feels like you know them forever just because you went on, you spent like three months crammed in a van together. A van with them, right. But there's more, there's a lot more months out of the year where you're not. Right. People can keep their shit together for three months. Exactly. And it's pretty easy to kind of like, I'm on my best model behavior. Right. I'm busy on tour, you know, mm-hmm. right, right. Right. but it's, I think, again, you know, you don't want your friend to be the bad guy. You don't want to be the bad guy. And it's hard to acknowledge like, Hey, maybe my friend isn't this like perfect person I built in my mind. And maybe I need to just, I don't need to, you know, maybe I need to talk to and have a conversation with that person, but that person may not be ready to have that conversation. They might be in denial still. And that's where it gets hard. I think for a lot of people. Do you think people fail to like revisit, like they mention it once and that's sort of like, all right. In the heat of the moment, I just had this, had this conversation with my, you know, a female friend who said this and that. And if, if the perpetrator isn't willing to discuss, it kind of gets like, it goes by the wayside. Do you think? I mean, like, what does the perpetrator in that situation have to lose? Like, if you're just, like, questioning them on it and you don't really have heart holding them accountable, then they can just say, like, that's not real. That didn't happen. And then it's over. But if you're saying, like, hey, I need you to really reflect and think about how this person's experience. Like, you, if you were, you know, if maybe – there's a situation where you don't remember what happened. Like, do you think you're pop, like capable of doing these things or, you know, I think it's, it's just not as black and white as we want to paint it out to be. I think. Right. Right. I think um, just kind of something to add on to that as somebody who's being accused of something, the last thing I want to hear them say is I never had the intention to hurt anybody. Um, and I mean, a lot of that has to do with not being educated about how your actions affect other people, but it's not about your intentions. It's how it was perceived. Um, you know, and maybe it has something to do with them not being aware of what proper consent looks like, but saying I never had the intention to hurt anybody doesn't mean that you didn't. That's so right. And that you don't owe them an apology and or more. Absolutely. Yeah, at least a conversation instead of just, you know, like acknowledge. That was not my intention. Well, that's not how it ended up for me. So, right. 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 I mean, I think that's a pretty, I, I think that's a big point um, that I think people kind of overlook. It's like, well, that, oh my God, I didn't mean to do that. Well, it did. You did. So, how are we going to kind of have a conversation about that? And I think that's something that we also talked about. Like, how do you have those? You know, we had talked about mediation and stuff like that. But, like, how do you have those conversations in a safe place that it's not necessarily, you know, judge and jury, but there's a place for you to kind of have that conversation if that if if the if the survivor wants that? And, like, what's that meant to look like? You know, what's the most – what's the safest way that the person feels like they can kind of voice their experience and, and feel like they can do that? Yeah, I mean, I think that's like something we had talked about. So if that's something, you know, that, that, you know, Emma or Kate have like, 
wanted to expound upon just kind of like what would that look like in in you know if you if we were able to kind of call the shots across you know the united states of hardcore <laughs> like what do you think you know and like you said this is different for me, for each each survivor so it's like it's hard to kind of come up with a rubric that works for everyone but like Right, right. Would there sort of be like an in-scene mediator that kind of is just there to make sure – I mean particularly the, 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 the survivor is like in a safe, comfortable space to kind of have this conversation? I think that the mediator should be somebody that the victim trusts. Makes total sense. Yeah, 100%. Because it's so easy to get put in a situation where I could totally see it playing out where – this is who we've decided the mediator is. Deal with it. And, like, you know, because that's, I feel like, so easy within any community. Like, it's like, oh, this person is the most. Everybody popular. loves this person, right? Exactly. Like, they're the most, you know, they're very educated. They should have the best perspective. But I don't think that's true at all for that individual. Sure. Sure. I don't think, yeah, I mean, we were kind of talking about this when we um, had our Zoom call, but I don't think having like, quote unquote, elected officials within the scene is right. really uh, practical. But like having people within the scene who, you know, are educated on this topic or passionate about this topic and are willing to take that on, um, you know, maybe they could kind of, I don't know, put out a beacon in that way, that way, you know, if a victim or a, I keep saying victim, I mean to say survivor, the terms are not exactly interchangeable, but um, the survivor, you know, if they want to, you know, reach out to that person, then they at least know somebody that they can rely on. Right. That they're, they're made, This person makes themselves available, whether or not you know them incredibly well or anything that, that there's folks like that that can kind of – that are willing to be a part of the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. And if there's another- I mean, my scene is small enough that, like, if I were to put out that beacon, like, you know, most people would know who I am. Or, you know, if somebody else in the scene, you know, everybody kind of knows each other. Sure, sure. And so, but, I mean, I also live in a smaller scene. So it really depends on the, the size and the dynamic of the scene for sure. That makes sense. Yeah, it's hard because, you know, like, it's just. It's trusting. It's. I think it all just boils down to like trusting this person that their story is real and authentic, and like whoever they think is the best to help them through this is truly the best. Because it's so easy when you're in a. I, I. I guess I can only assume it's so easy when you're in a position of power to say like, Ah, oh, no, I know this person. They're the best for this. Like it's going to be a good thing. But I think we're just perpetuating these systems and especially like the hierarchies and stuff. Exactly. That have very clearly not done a lot for. uh, Right. Right. There's like implicit bias on who you pick. Right. And Mm -hmm. I don't know what that looks like to acknowledge. Like I've been in hardcore for X amount of years and I've been in these many bands and this like. And just to acknowledge that, like, that doesn't necessarily make me qualified to tell this person, like, how we're going to handle their situation. Definitely Uh, not. I think that's where it gets hard because it's, I'm the first to admit that, like, I'm, I want to come in quick to, like, help or be like, oh, like, yeah, let me help. Like, but 
we have to be mindful of our power in that situation and how our biases or X, Y, our experiences might impact that um, in part because we're not, we're not conditioned to think about those things. Right. And like when we, when you, Em and I spoke about this, we all had like the one person that like popped in our head for each place. Right. And it's like, that's probably a, an issue in and of itself. Exactly. But, but you're automatically like, this person in Seattle, this person in Portland, here in New York, here's what we're doing. Like, you know, like you automatically have that bias built in that like this person's an elder states person and like he or she must know what that, you know what I mean? How to handle this sort of stuff. But it's like, it's not necessarily the best way to go about it, you know? Right. Because it's your own experience. Yeah, like it could be, it could kind of play into a popularity issue, you know, instead of being somebody who's qualified to handle a a serious situation like that. Um, I think that having literature and like, you know, being able to have a workshop to teach different people how to navigate these situations would be really helpful. That way it's not, you know, just the person who goes to the shows the most or has the most followers on the internet that's you know, kind of nominated by a survivor to handle something like this. Right. And that's how they can kind of identify themselves as those folks that are willing to be involved by like almost proving that they went through this. Yeah. Like workshop process and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, I want to think that doing something like this is doable. Um, You know, we don't really know how practical it is until we try, but I think it's, I think it's something worth talking about and, you know, entertaining absolutely absolutely it's time for today's lucky land horoscope with victoria cash life's gotten mundane so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to lucky land you know what they say your chance to win starts with a spin so go to luckylandslots.com to play over 100 social casino style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. This is the story of Whitney Houston. This is the story of Kurt Cobain. Of George Michael. Of Otis Redding. Of Amy Winehouse. Of Michael Hutchins. Bob Marley. This is the story of Prince. It's a new podcast series. About how they died. Why they died. And while we're still talking about them so long after... It's like nothing you've ever heard before. It's storytelling. But it's more than that, because rock stars... They tell us how we feel. They change our mood. They change the clothes we wear, the people we hang out with. The way we remember things. It's them who give us those ludicrous moments. The ones where you're... Jumping around, singing your heart out, feeling understood. And it's those moments we'll help you remember the ones you're thinking about right now that feeling that feeling is coming soon from crowd network just search for death of a rock star on your podcast app and subscribe now hey this is dewey Halpas, host of peer pleasure on the sound talent media podcast network join me each week as i explore another long-form conversation with one of your favorite musicians actors comedians or creatives from Chino Moreno of the Deftones, John Gorley of Portugal, the man, to Fat Mike from No Effects, and Ian Mackay from Fugazi and Minor Threat, we go all over the map. From Fallout Boy to Slayer, Peer Pleasure has it all. Check us out now on Sound Talent Media. Um, 
Pat had something to say. I can hear him go. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's it, it, so Kate, this is like, we can 100% cut this next question. If, if it puts you oh, in, a, if it puts you in a no win, you know, which, it, which it might, yeah. uh, but, um, having been through a thing, does that make you very open to everybody's claim or does it in your mind, is there a, is there a bar to which things that you take seriously have to reach? Um, yeah, that's where it gets hard. Cause it's like, yes, I'm a, I've been in the situation as so many people have, but I don't know. I am of the, I've been trained and taught over and over again that like I am the least qualified to speak on anyone's behalf. Like that is just my 100%. Like all I can do is take someone by their word. And if it ends up not being true, then it's not true. Like nothing, like it's eventually going to come out, whatever. But it's, it's weird that our, like, it seems like there's that initial, first gut instinct to like not trust someone's opinion. And I think it's easy to get in that habit of like, ah, that's just Twitter. I'm going to scroll past it. But I think we have really have to retrain our brains to really understand that. Like we have not been in that individual's unique situation, even though we may have been in similar ones or so, so close, but it's like, I at the end of the day, like, we're not that person. We can't speak on their behalf. We can't like tell them what's right, what's wrong, what's their lived experience. And it's hard for a lot of people like, you know, to acknowledge that and just own it. Like I'm not the perfect person. There's no perfect person except for the person themselves coming forward to listen to and acknowledge and accept what they have to say. And, you know, if down the road it changed, the story changes, the narrative changes. Hey, it changed, but why wouldn't I not just take this person for where they're coming from and tr- attempt to listen, attempt to believe, you know, and just be there. And like, uh, I'm sorry, Kay. I, that's a very, that's a very measured uh, response to, to the idea that s- sometimes things aren't as they seem, but that, that's, I, I might've misconveyed. That's not what I was. Uh, th- that wasn't my question. My question was, um, I will totally confess to throwing my hands up in the air with some of the recent like Twitter stuff, because what starts as seemingly very serious allegations against a person, I check in a day and a half later and it's people talking about them not being a good roommate. And and so when the dog pile gets to the point that people are, are, like not and like again if 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 you want to paint this as insensitive on my part I'll I'll hear you out but like when things go from like oh shit that's condemnable no matter who the fuck is reading this to then the last person on the dog pile is oh yeah they owe me a thousand dollars is like I I literally throw my hands up and I go I don't know what people want me to do about this anymore. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to sound very cynical, but I, the reason I, I threw the question at you is because it sounds like you've been through something rather serious. And I, I'm always curious if that uh, creates like a, like if you are more frustrated with, Oh yeah, he owes me a thousand dollars than I am. Or if, or if you 
and that's a ridiculous example for sure. But, but, but if you, uh, if you are still open to everybody's sort of thing, I didn't mean false accusations. I meant like, like when things start to include these seemingly non sequiturs or, or or just pattern of shithead behavior, but not abusive behavior. And am I wrong or, or, or have you, uh, maybe you haven't seen the same Twitter threads that I have, but they get to this point where I, I almost start sympathizing with the bad dude because yeah. I start going, I start going, why are we, why we give a fuck about uh, this, this, like what he didn't pay his fucking, uh, his light bill. And, and we're, like, I don't give a shit about that. Stay focused. Right. It gets hard. Cause right. Like everyone has their own experience and their own definition of abuse X, Y, Z. And I think it comes to a point of, you have to acknowledge like, who am I following? Who am I? Like, who am I listening to? So, like, if I'm concerned that this person's a real threat, what am I doing about it? Am I, like, like thinking, like, nah, there's no way, like, this isn't real? Or am I, like, taking the, you know, my opportunity to follow up with the, you know, person? I think it's very easy to, it's frustrating, yeah, like, to have one experience compared to another Um or have like very two very different situations compared to like two very different situations. But I think it just comes to the fact of like, okay, how am I interpreting this information? How does it impact me? And what can I do to make sure that I know if it does impact me significantly, or I know this person, like what am I doing to make sure that I know the full situation? And uh, you know, what can I do to be, reaching out, asking questions, being curious versus being pointed, I think is important, but it gets, yeah, it's hard. Cause it's like, this person's shitty or this person has a very abusive and very dangerous mindset against, or like about how they live their life. Um, and they're two very different things. Like there's, and it's, it's not, you know, there's not one right answer or anything, but I think just listening to the original situation and thinking, okay, what's my, what's my experience been with this person? Do I even know this person? If not, maybe I need to just sit and not think too hard into it and maybe see it play out. Or if I know they're in my scene, I know they're interacting with people that I care about. I know that, their presence impacts people who show up weekly or ex- whatever. What am, what's my responsibility in this situation? Like, do I need to follow up with this person and ask and see like, Hey, tell me more. What's this about? It's not being afraid to address it. I think that's the biggest problem that we get where it's like, we get afraid to call each other out or in, you know, whatever you want to call it. But it's just saying like, Hey, screenshot, I want to send this directly to the person it's about and be like, Hey, I know you enough to know that this is a pretty serious allegation. Can you tell me more about this? And just being able to hear that side, but then also be like, okay, I care about this human for whatever reason. And, you know, can I, can I hear more? And if not like respecting that, like, Nope, like that person doesn't want to tell you what happened, but I don't know. It's, I get that it's frustrating and, you know, there's the shitty behavior, then there's like the perpetual, terrible 
human, like you clearly are a bigger issue, but it's just that whole piece of not being like just radically listening. Like, okay, maybe I need to keep my guard up or maybe I need to like reset my filters and acknowledge the situation that could be at hand. Um, and it gets frustrating because then like, if, like you said, like two days later, you're realizing they didn't pay rent and they were made to be out like this, a very different person. Or, or, or maybe they did all the foul shit, but by, but like, then there's this, the pile on includes stuff that like just muddies the waters for me. It, it like, it shouldn't, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. See, uh, Tom, though. if some woman comes out and says, this guy assaulted me and someone else is like, he owes me a thousand dollars. You go, all right, well, he's still a fucking asshole who assaulted somebody. Yeah, but I, I, you're smart enough to be able to see past that. That's a dumb fucking that doesn't make any sense to me. See, but let me let me give you perspective, though, is that that if if the first thing is an interpersonal thing between two people and then the community's function is to jump in on a dog pile that includes nonsense. I don't understand why the community is being involved at all. Like because some people have a fucking no pun intended an axe to grind, yeah. and this is their shot at taking their fucking swing at this person while they're being taken down. Like so, it's but that's fucking it's noise. Who gives a shit? I think you're both kind of saying the same thing actually here. And, and Emma and Kate, please jump in here too. But but it's Pat. I think your question is, and and what you're saying is it's. It distracts the conversation and dilutes the argue, the the actual focus, which is this person has done something that has really harmed another person, and and maybe there's a pattern of it, and that's kind of why it's being brought to the community and to to let people know, hey, be aware, be wary, however you want to put it, and that then when you see the dog pile of like, and by the way, he doesn't pay parking tickets, and by the way. He, right. he, well, he told me my jacket was dumb. That those things, like Tom said, completely irrelevant. Who fucking cares? But that sure. the community element of dogpiling that way is not what's being called for. What's being called for is saying, "Hey, I'm sharing, I'm sharing a story. I'm sharing a really personal experience that's that's pretty serious." And and when people start going in there, it's like, no, no, that's not the energy here. That shouldn't right. be energy. But my answer is the equivalent of like somebody like stab somebody and then someone else coming over and be like, you know, he also jaywalked before he did that. Like, okay. But, but Tom, Tom, here's what I'm saying though. It is that for us to dismiss somebody's shit as just looking to, to uh, have a grievance resolved, that can also be extended to people that have real claims. You understand what I'm saying? Like, like, I'm I'm with you. I'm game to filter out the nonsense. But if it's if there's a lot of nonsense, I, I guess what I'm saying is that it still requires you to make a value judgment. And in that value judgment, can it can also include people that maybe not everybody listening would be comfortable with me disregarding. You, you know what I'm saying? Like it, it's like how well, I mean ser- it depends. Like yeah, I mean you're talking about a thousand bucks. If it's someone else who was like, you know, this person did this to me, and then someone. Five tweets later was like, you know, he was a terrible boyfriend and yeah, he moved out and never that, told me. That's, that's one thing. That's the type of stuff I'm talking about. And also, like, I saw one. And again, firstly, Kate and Emma, uh, it's possible that I'm speaking. Uh, I'm having a different conversation because I, I, I'm not meaning to make you 
you two answer for every weirdo like canceling person out there that is like that's not my intention at all it's just that's the aspect of the conversation that's obviously very lurid and and like grabs people and it's grabbed me the last few days because i'm i'm just frankly very confused by the cultural element of it but i understand that both of you have something more serious to say about a holistic solution and i'm not trying to disregard that i'm just i'm looking for like like the yeah tom you nailed it like the hey this person beat me up okay whoa fuck all right full pause and then then it's also like okay this person never beat me up but i didn't like their energy what am i supposed to do with that you you know what i mean like and that is me disregarding that person's lived experience if i go hey get that bullshit out of there i'm concerned about the i'm concerned about the beating you you, you know what i'm saying like i I, for me i guess what i'm saying is that for me to apply a filter it means that i am going to disregard certain people's lived experiences and say that's not enough for me and that's what and kind of acknowledging that we all do that when when the noise becomes too great is is what i'm driving at here well I'm kind of conflicted because I understand what you're saying by it's distracting. Um, I am not somebody to try and control when somebody feels like they were wronged enough to go public on the internet and like kind of be involved in this campaign against someone. But I do think that we have to recognize when we look at, you know, our, when, these things that we're saying and these experiences that we've had with other people, if there's more serious things going on, is there another way that we can support the victim other than kind of, you know, shouting over them by being like, Oh, well this, this person, you know, for whatever, whatever thing happened, is it, is it taking away and distracting? Is it speaking over a survivor of something serious? Um, Are we, involved in this just because we don't like somebody and we want to take them down and we want to be involved in that. And this is something that Kate, Tom and I talked about on our zoom call was I've seen a lot of people go after somebody for pretty minor offenses and involve themselves in this campaign because they didn't like somebody because they thought they were corny or, you know, they didn't like who they hung out with or like, you know, just like really small things. So thinking about, you know, am I actually adding anything valuable to this conversation by airing my grievances? And again, I'm not trying to control anybody if they think that it's serious enough to talk about it, but having this in the forefront of your mind when you want to say something. Instead, if you could just reach out to the victim or retweet something that they've said or, you know, tell them I support you, um, you know, which, which one is going to be more valuable in this situation, if that makes sense. Right. And do you think people have like that, that like wherewithal to notice, like, all right, I'm not adding anything to this conversation. Like, do you think they're like blinded by their like aim to get like a pound of flesh from this person that like, they can't see that they're not, um, they're not really being helpful or supportive to the survivor that sort of set that whole chain of tweets off you know what i mean yeah and maybe maybe they didn't know but you know hopefully by hearing this they that can kind of like have a light bulb turn on in their head like oh when i said that thing maybe i was shouting over uh, you know a survivor instead of actually supporting them or doing anything uh 
you know, helpful in the situation. Right. I think it goes back to like that whole, like, I wish I would have seen the signs. I wish I would have thing where it's like, maybe let's pause and see like how much of your interactions with the person matter for the situation versus just like amplifying the person's voice who's been like had harm done to them. I think it's very easy to be like, Oh, I had a, I always had a weird off vibe about that person or all like, it's very easy to feel and to react. It's not easy to listen and to respond. Uh, And so I think it's, it's one of those things where it feels good to be able to quote tweet someone and say, yeah, I always had an off feeling about that person. It's harder to acknowledge, you know, maybe how you would have, either supported or perpetuated their behavior or not addressed it or just staying silent and just silently supporting or like outwardly supporting the survivor. Um, it's not, you know, might lose a couple followers or whatever, but it's like, okay, what's that stick here? I think, uh, I want to add to that. Oh, I'm sorry. No, you're good. Go for it. I want to add to that by saying like, oh, I knew this person was shitty the whole time is not going to make you look good. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It's straight up my biggest, it's my biggest pet peeve. And for those of listeners of ours that think they're doing something helpful and also see themselves as I know very few people see themselves as woke, but if you see yourself as a progressive person saying, I knew this person was bad and I did nothing is a bad look. And then there's implicit more than anybody. Yeah, and then there's also there's one that sticks out in my mind that I'm not going to bring up because it's it it seems like it's uh, it seems like it wasn't based on anything. Whatever, it can get really ugly in a way that I don't think people understand. Where they start sort of signaling their own racial biases and all sorts of other ugliness when you say, "Ah, no surprise, I knew it," or yeah. or that got, that like because good guys don't wear white everybody like it's not like you can tell because some guy looks like a creep that he's a creep and i think saying no surprise is about the ugliest thing you can say it doesn't make you look good it doesn't big up you on the righteousness scale it just makes you look like a weasel because if you had an inclination that somebody was foul and you did nothing this whole time yeah that's weird yeah um one other thing that um, I, I think it was Emma brought up on our on our handy dandy Zoom call um, <laughs> that we talked about, and I think um, this would be a good conversation piece for all of us was the '90s. I, I think you brought that up, correct? Or was that Kate? I, I mean, I talked about tabling at shows and you know having workshops, and then you brought up the '90s. Um, and about, I'll how, put it back on me. Like I'm the guy, like, yeah. cause that was my hate. Day. I have to go back to the nineties. Uh, <laughs> you you know, I wish, I wish my mom took me to, you know, an earth crisis show when I was like four, but you know, <laughs> <laughs> you were missing out. That was, uh, really yeah. Carl still had hair. It was different. It was yeah. a different time. <laughs> um, days. But we were talking about, I forget someone had brought up the fact that we're like, you know, how the nineties were different. And then, like, we were kind of saying, like, well, my experience, like, 90s weren't as different, but the 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 access, like, you know, like, it's not as if, like, 2000 hit and then all of a sudden all these bad people got involved in hardcore. Right. 
No. This was like a thing that's probably gone on since, you know, 1977. But now, as much as like, and this kind of plays into what we talked on the podcast about, like, now having the internet almost creates a space that you can let kind of, you know, kind of tell your story while before pre-internet, where do you go for that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And I think like that's something we kind of talked about. Like mm-hmm. this isn't in any way a new thing. No, I mean you you might catch some stuff in the heart attack letter pages. You might get some zines. Um, but no, right, there right. wasn't the there wasn't the there wasn't the, the platform to do it in a way that really broadcast it. And I mean, it's sort of something we talked about was that, I mean, I remember being 17 and knowing about a dude who was older, who was kind of tripping around people my age, women my age, and me asking some guy who was older, and, and the answer was like, no, yeah, that's, that's what he does. And I, I remember thinking like, that that sucks <laughs> really um but it was sort of like what do you do with that you know what do you do with that information other than you know at that time share it with your friends and you know i, I think it's something we talk about is that you could really literally in the 90s oh you were a bad dude and you did something bad to someone in your scene okay well you stop going to shows and that stops existing which is some of the kick of the, down the can, kicking the can down the road stuff we talk about now, or hey, you might even still be able to stay in hardcore. You just move. You could move three yeah, hours away, and and maybe it's a whisper, but it's not a yell, and you're not dealing with it. It's not something that you're having to to talk about. So it's it's definitely not new. And, um, and I think that's why this moment is kind of interesting. It's not like right now it's, it's more just kind of building to stuff is the, the idea that like, Hey, this isn't new, but how can it be, how can it be sort of stopped or, or let's, let's get beyond let's, let's do better for lack yeah. of a better term. I quit being surprised about this coming up. Our friend, someone we know, like let's address it instead of just letting it perpetuate and, it's yeah. I saw there was tweets out there that were saying, "I miss the old days of hardcore." When, I thought it was yeah, yeah when this this wasn't an issue and everyone just cared about the music and that's what brought that up. Where I was like, "Was that really? Was it all that rose colored?" Or right? It, guess what? It wasn't. And what? And so that kind of transitioned to us talking about, you know. In hardcore, like in, in the 90s especially, there was more kind of, like you said, like tabling. And like and we even talked about that. And I'm going to give my little spiel and then you can like really take over. Like almost with like if you are tabling and like what Patrick had said and like what we all said at some points during this conversation was that like there's only – there's an input – like you're only going to get someone to come up to your table if they're – you know if they're looking to change or if like they're open to that decision, that discussion. Right. And like something that we had talked about that like would happen in, in the nineties. And like, I even experienced myself, um, you know, on various different causes, like one of the bands, primarily one of the, like the, you know, the, the headliners or whatever would kind of cede some of their time to someone to, um, you know, discuss their platform, whatever it was. 
I know Pat Flynn did that last year at Town and Fury. And I think it's like, that's how you're really going to kind of get a conversation going when it's like, well, you're not going anywhere because you want to see Have Heart. But you're going to hear this. And it's not like kind of it takes out like that bias that it's like the only people that are coming up to the table to grab literature. You know, I mean, it's the equivalent of like, you know, when like animal rights program, you know, people would be set up like, you know, fucking Joey Hamburg is not coming up to grab a grab information. But someone who's kind of looking to change and make changes or see how they can help and all that sort of stuff. Those are the people that you're getting. But like, if you're sort of. You know, we talked about like, um, like Greg Bennick did like a workshop at like Fluff Fest or one of the big fests in Europe, you know, and like he got like 10 minutes before band to, to kind of do this workshop. And like, I think that's how you kind of get the discussion going because it's kind of, it's including everybody. You may not want to hear it, but it may, you may hear something that clicks for you that, you wouldn't have gotten if you would, were, you know, like not making eye contact with the person running that table. Right. You can't at this festival essentially. You can't scroll past someone on a stage telling you something. And like, I think there's that admiration. There's that, like, that's the person I care about saying something. You're going to listen a little more versus some person you don't know across the country on Twitter saying something, you know. When someone you know, who you respect, who you idolize is taking the platform either to like themselves say something or to hand the mic over to someone. I feel like like you guys are doing today to say, hey, like, like this is a problem. What are we going to do about it? Like we need to address this. You have more of an impact. It's so easy to keep scrolling or to like disengage or be like, oh, I don't that person saying that stuff They're I don't trust them. They they're not good people. The person who's, you know, getting the point, like the finger pointed at them, they're, they're my buddy. They're good. But when you're, you know, in this room full of people, you're in person, you're showing up. It's really hard to, you know, deny or, you know, ignore what's happening. Uh, but I, I think there, you know, there can be room for that. And I think, you know, if those folks that run, you know, big shows, big or small festivals, like maybe you make time for that. Cause I think, you know, you get kind of into that rut that it's like, you know, especially on tours and stuff like that. It's like, you know, we play at nine forty every night. We go off at 10, whatever the fucking story is. You kind of get into that rut, but like maybe, you know, set a nine forty, you start at nine fifty, and you cut a song or two. And you give someone your platform to kind of, you know, discuss what's going on in their city. You know what I mean? And it could be anything. You know what I mean? You know, anything positive. Um, like you're not trying to be like, hey, you know, we're in Oklahoma. You with the red hat, come up here. Like, yeah. um, <laughs> but like to kind of give someone like, you know, some of you the eyeballs and the ears and like, come on up here and like, you know, you know use this time in a, in a better way than us adding another song to the set list. Yeah. But it's hard. Like, like, you know, imagine like, what if I came up to you, Tom, and you didn't know me and I'm like, Hey, can I steal your mic to talk about this like person or this issue? That's really important to me. Like, how would that feel? Like I, I'm not in a band, so I don't know, but like, I mean, personally we've, I've had that done. Yeah. And it was kind of like, Hey, can I get up and talk, you know, at like particularly at this venue called the wetlands in Manhattan. And like, 
literally almost every time we played there, someone would be like, hey, um, there's going to be like a um, a fur protest next week at Bloomingdale's. Do you mind if I get up and, you know, say something about that and, you know, talk for a couple of minutes? Fuck. Oh, sure. Of course. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You know, like most bands are struggling to get to their fucking full set time anyway. So it's like, hmm. I'll give you five minutes. Have at it. And five minutes you can put across so much information because like we were saying like five minutes of actual talking it's like it's it's a lot it's a, a lot time. yeah i think and i think that's something people can think about you know and like we talked about certain bands that we all love and like you know if if you brought this to them they would do it in a heartbeat it's pro- but it probably never even occurred to them through no fault of their own but if they're younger they've never saw that kind of vibe then you know what I mean? Right. You're just doing what you're told at that point. You're like, I know I have to play from this time to this time. I'm going to do my job. <laughs> right. Uh, here's a, a related topic that I'd like to hear everybody's <clears throat> opinion on. Uh, it just struck me while we were talking about like the impact that bands can have, w- what kind of a no win situation it really is artistically, because knowing that the majority of hardcore bands are fronted by, or have lyrics written by uh, what we would assume cis, but certainly white men. uh, Do we want that perspective on this issue necessarily? And conversely, is it really unfair every time a band has, for example, a a woman or a non-binary person in it, it, is it, is it unfair to expect that that person, and again, this is, I'm speaking so broadly, of course, men can, can experience sexual assault or sexual misconduct, but like it, it's, do you want this topic from certain people and not from others? And the people that you want it from, is it a bit presumptuous to assume that they would want to sing about it? You, you know what I'm saying? Like, it, it's oh, of course, uh, of like, uh, Emma, this, this might be, uh, germane to your experience. It, it's, it's like, <laughs> I don't, I don't know how to win on that. Cause certainly like my, my story is not one that I think anybody's particularly interested in when it comes to this topic, even if it's somewhat relevant to me and truth be told, I'd still touch on it, but I don't expect the world to listen. But meanwhile, I think it's kind of fucked up if I look, if I look to the woman band and go, and now tell me more. You know what I mean? Like, so it's kind of a very difficult path uh, artistically to, to try to address this in, in, in our scene. Well, I mean, personally, I do like to write songs that are politically charged, um, but that's what I'm comfortable doing and that's what I feel passionate about. And so that's what I write about. But having this idea that because it, we're a quote unquote female fronted band, which if you've ever talk or spoken to me about that phrase, you would know how much I hate it. But, um, because I'm supposed to, because we're supposed to be inherently more political because of that, I feel like is a problem in and of itself. Um, just because we happen to be that way, you know, I guess we might fit that stereotype, but we have songs that are written about lots of things, you know, heartbreak, um, about anger, you know, depression, not just, those political things. Um, I also think that it's important for everybody to talk about these issues. You know, uh, maybe somebody might think, 
you know, a non-binary person or a woman's experience is more valuable than a man talking about it. But, you know, unfortunately, uh, because of the stigma around female fronted bands, certain people won't even, I'm sure there's somebody out there that won't listen to a girl scream on a song because they don't like the way it sounds. You know what I mean? So if they're going to listen to a band with a man in it that is willing to talk about these issues, then, you know, that's better than them not hearing about it at all, if that makes sense. It does? Yes. Right. And I think, I kind of, I think what Patrick was also getting at was that sort of like, by, you know, if, if a male, a male fronted band had a song that dealt with um, like a woman's experience, do people tend to think it's inauthentic because it's not your own? Hmm. You know what I mean? That it's kind of like, I respect you for doing this, but like you could never fully fucking understand. I could talk I mean, to you for six hours about it and you're not going to be able to encompass it in a three minute song. Um, I, th- I think if it's written from the first person perspective that that's, problematic you know sure no of course of course yeah yeah but i mean even in like kind of like a more storytelling way you know what i mean right you know i i really haven't thought about this very much i i still you know i think that it's important for these issues to be talked about but i expect those people who are in those bands to to walk the walk you know what i mean if they're gonna write if they're gonna write music about something like that then be about it. Don't just write music and profit off of it. And this is something that I've seen recently since the Black Lives Matter movement has, you know, really come to a head in the last month is bands that have lyrics about, you know, being anti-racist and, you know, having, you know, sold merch uh, that is anti-racist and made a profit off of that in the past. Um, those people not using their platforms now to share stories and amplify black voices. I do think um, that those people aren't exactly walking the walk. And, you know, there's there is some gray area there, I guess, you know, but I think it's important to think about this in kind of a similar light. That makes sense. I think part of it, too, has just to come just being like willing to be called out on that, though, because I think like. It's so easy to be like, oh, my intentions are pure. Just just listen. Just radically listen and acknowledge. Just be like, okay, thank you for telling me that. Thank you for like making me aware, making me conscious of my unknowingly problematic like process or profit, I think is important. And just, okay, now what am I going to do to change? It's so easy to be like mad or upset or being called out, like, who are you to call me out? But just being like, okay, this person who I may or may not know has an, has input on something. Maybe I should listen and just being open to that and not immediately being like, Oh wait, no, I know everything. I'm, my intentions are pure. So that means that I'm a good guy or I'm a good person. Like just being like, okay, like maybe my intention did not impact the way that I intended it to. And that's okay. And this person's, willing enough to tell me that and like, let me know how can I adapt to it? I think is important. Um, I mean, Patrick and I yelled at each other for two weeks about Toby Morse. Yeah, true. And his intentions about selling, um, and racism shirts and not donating any of the money. Right. So 
I think I saw. He, I think he's. I think I saw he did did now or something like that. I don't know. I think Sometimes Kobe. Gotta, you know, he's in the clear. Peer he pressure. Need to on that, like, does he need to come out and say like, "Oh, I messed up"? Because I think modeling that is really good for a lot of bands who aren't obviously as popular as that band. Like, yeah, yeah, and I think yeah, model like it, that's what we also kind of talked about, like the whole like normalized blah 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 thing that had gone on on Twitter. It, almost sort of, um, you know, kind of trivializes it. And, like, you should be able to, like, have these conversations and be able to admit that you you were guilty, that you did this, you did, like, and, and not sort of, um, you know, I, I think we're, we're too quick to sort of make people feel like they can't own up to, to their, their, you know, fuck ups all too often. Yeah. And then yeah. leave us I, in this position. I think that that's because we often blur the lines between call out culture and cancel culture. You know, a call out doesn't always have to result in a canceling. A call out often is productive because it's a way of making you acknowledge your behavior so that you can change it. And people are often too scared, like, oh no, I got called out for it. This, I'm going to get canceled. And so it kind of like uh, hinders the the possibility of them actually making any change. And again, I'm going to move back to that when I was talking about fear and shame earlier. You know, I think we should be more um, accepting that a call out is not necessarily a personal attack. Yeah, I I, I think that that's 100 percent the model that that strikes me as uh, productive. I, I, I do, I'm just going to echo the concerns that, that, that you just said, which is, uh, if the perfect is the enemy of the good, if we expect people to be perfect, they're just going to double down or believing that they're beyond redemption. They're just going to say, fuck it. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I really like when I saw some of the canceling this past week, I, I, I actually looked at it and had a completely different perspective than a lot of people. I'm, I'm sure that, uh, per- perhaps you two ladies. Saw it and, and, oh God, somebody Ooh. just sneeze. Um, the, 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 uh, no, you know what? I think I scraped. Hold on. Oh yeah. So, Maybe, and I, it's not just you two ladies. Maybe, maybe the other fellas here had the same response of like having this, um, you know, like maybe your thoughts went immediately to to the people that had wrong done to them. But I, I looked at it and went, okay, that dude is now radicalized. That dude is now radicalized. That this, there's no coming back. This person, this person, this person are going to find the darkest corner from which to be, do their behaviors that they can possibly find and nothing's going to get resolved. And that, that might be my cynicism, but I think there's something to that. I don't think it's purely me assuming the worst of people. I, I think that like, as we've all pointed out, cancel culture is really walking a tightrope of putting people either to, either to lie forever, you know what I mean? Which is not productive or to sort of throw their hands up and say, fuck it, I'll do my dirt over here. And I don't know, that's, that stuff stresses me out. Like watching it happen in real time, uh, really sort of like I I was watching it going, Oh, I think I'm watching people get worse, not better from this. 
Kate, you were our um, you were keeping minutes when we talked on uh, Friday. Is there any, any what other stuff do we have that we wanted to discuss? Uh, I think we just no pressure. I'm like no pressure. I just think it's like what's what's it look like moving forward? Like what? Like can we have a space where we're uh, accepting and acknowledging these problematic behaviors and like hearing actually hearing authentically the voices of survivors going forward while also um, being like, is there a future where it looks like where you're not called out, canceled? Is there like, is there that restorative justice? Like are people capable of learning, growing and moving forward or like, what does that look like? I think is important too. like, what do we look like moving forward? Cause we keep going round and round and we keep seeing this like once a year, however many times a year, depending on what area you're in of the scene getting called out, but it's like, okay, how, what are we doing to make sure this isn't happening moving forward? People know what they're like doing and know what's wrong. Like I'll be the first to admit that, I went, I grew up in a rural area that I didn't, I was not taught a single thing about consent or that wasn't even the topic of conversation. So it's like, if we're not, you know, given the benefit of the doubt, if we're not being taught these things, how do we make sure that people know what is okay and what's not? And you know, have those difficult conversations. Like when you meet someone and you're interested in making the relationship like intimate, how do you have that conversation? Like, what does that look like? And if it's not happening, why not? Right. Um, to refer back to our zoom call, we had this conversation, Tom, where you said something about like, uh, people are worried about bringing up, you know, further uh, consent questions because they're worried that it might kill the moment. Do you remember saying that? No, of course. And then Kate said, well, the moment should have probably been killed then. Right. So, and it perfectly. Right. Yeah. I mean, just being like aware that consent is healthy for everybody. And, you know, just because, you know, somebody withdrew consent or, you know, didn't consent doesn't mean it's the end of the fucking world. If that, right. You know, and like right. Tom was great to like play like audience member for us and say like, well, this is like I don't believe this, but <laughs> right. I was just kind of like, I'm just reiterating. Right. This right. is not my thought, but I'm sure right. you have, you know, and you're close with plenty of people where that is their thought where it's like, Oh, sure. How the hell am I supposed to like do my thing if I have to like awkwardly bring this conversation up? Well, very, it's very obvious, I think, in that moment that you should, you need to bring that conversation up because if you're feeling awkward about it, it's, it's probably means that the situation isn't as you intend or like you think it is. And if it's right. gonna, if that's what you have to like really think about your values and what you're expecting out of this and why you feel like you can't communicate it. Like they really like it reflect and think of 
what am I going to lose if I ask this person if they're okay with me, like taking, being intimate with them or, you know, going to the next step. If what I'm losing is them rejecting me and that fear of rejection, how can I own that? Because that is so much better. That stays, that's between you two. That is so much more intimate, I think, than like getting your way with the person or whatever. Just being And it's fleeting. Yeah. Like that embarrassment is fleeting. Yeah. Well, well, the opposite goes on forever. Right. You know, and I think what we had talked about and like, um, that Zoom call, we keep going back. We should have recorded that. We I know. Have, I keep thinking that. Um, no, but we got to – thankfully got to talk about a lot here. So like we were even talking about like you know sex education in school and all this sort of stuff. And like you know all throughout life and, and, and Pat and Bob can you know discuss this too. Like you're kind of taught to be like women like people that take charge and like brr, caveman bullshit that like we're – like – men are so often kind of brought up in that mindset that you're kind of like, she doesn't want, you know, like, and it kind of plays into this entire fucking issue, you know? And like, so kids are never taught in the beginning, you know, and then they become of age, you know, and like, they don't know how to fucking do anything. And I think, you know, hardcore is meant to be like, we're, we're a different type of, of human being that if you're, we're not we go against the grain we're not fucking regular society and this is one of the fucking cancers that have have you know come over from regular society and, and then like are we any fucking different if we're if this is you know are, are you know is the fucking singer in hardcore band b any different from the fucking you know the quarterback in high school that was you know in, you know sexually assaulted towards someone else no no unless you act like it end of story no we're not any different unless we act like it can i just offer something as a suggestion to our listeners that we got a wide range of listeners and some of them might be pretty young uh so everything that was just said is accurate but maybe you're still in like a sex ed sort of uh mindset where the idea of active consent is would it be all right if I now touched your breasts? Like that, that's it. That's just a script. You're, you're not expected to actually just saying to someone, is this cool? Takes one second. Doesn't really Internal take anything life. out of the yeah. situation at, at all. And yeah. it's, so I, I guess what I'm trying to say is I think that active consent has had a very bad salesmanship to it yeah. because mm-hmm. it, it looks like this lame fucking thing that women will tell you, yeah, that turns me off because it would turn anybody off to set, to do the high school. Um, uh, like, eh, uh, yeah. Yeah. But all you have to say is, Hey, is this cool? And if the yeah. person says, I will let you know if it, if it isn't, that's cool. And it, all you have to say is, uh, it, all right, if I push this a little further, that's it. It's not like you don't got to do the script. <laughs> just so like, right. if, just in case we got like any pedantic types in our fucking listenership that are like, think that it's still high school, like sex ed class. You don't, you, it's just about getting confirmation that what's happening is cool, which can literally be this cool. And somebody can go, yeah, that's cool. It doesn't take shit away from the situation. That's so important. I think, so. Yeah. I think that consent is a lot like anything else where when you practice it enough, you get good at it. 
And then you can learn that consent can actually be pretty hot. Right. Or it's like, oh my God, yes. Like, thank you finally. Cause it's so freaking sick how not common it is. Like being able to like, Hey, if this moves forward, like, will you let me know? Are you comfortable letting me know that you're uncomfortable if that were ever to happen? Like is something as simple as that. Or like, what does consent look like for you? Having those discussions before, you know, it's like, those are the conversations that are important to have before. And it's really admirable to just acknowledge like, Hey, and if you look like a weirdo or whatever is in your brain of like how weird that is, like, cool. At least you look like a weirdo and not a fucking abuser. Yeah, that's a fact. Right. Um, if I could also add, like, again, this is um, maybe for the really uh, young listeners. It, it's uh, sorry. This is this has become the alternative sex ed class now. Um, <laughs> the uh, uh, that whole um, like like uh, it, I don't want to look lame or or whatever. Or, or actually, let me focus on this one. Being rejected. Now, I personally, this is my view on this. I personally think that many of the men who display uh, violent characteristics, I'm not saying there's not a rape culture at all, but I'm saying that a lot of the people that respond to rejection, man or woman, honestly, I've, I've met women with this persuasion too. I think that there might be real psychological issues at, at hand. Like we're talking borderline or schizoaffective disorder, something like that, because it's one of the hallmarks of, of those particular uh, things is, is, is uh, responding really poorly to rejection, not making excuses for anybody. But m- my point is uh, to this is the one thing I feel very strongly about it, in this whole topic that I feel like I can just please if we have young people being rejected is not what you think it is. It, 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 really, la- it really lasts just a second. Don't act like a psychotic because when you act like a psychotic, it, it uh, look, let's just come at this from a self-interest place. If you act like a psychotic, it will wear poorly on you and it will follow you around. Don't act like a psychotic. Don't, don't respond to rejection with an, an outsized response. All like literally, I know that it stings, but it shouldn't sting you so much that you're acting like a loon. This goes for, this goes for any fucking gender, but I, I really wish that we could normalize this because when I hear from women that they didn't feel like they could say no to this guy or that guy because they're so afraid of how men will respond, that I'm an, I'm not the most sensitive guy, and that deeply upsets me because it, it's like, yo, and don't get me wrong, I've I've dealt with women that when they're rejected go to really crazy places, so I get it. I do, I don't doubt for a second that these men do this, but like, I just if you're not certifiably unwell. If you're just a dick, you have to you have to work through rejection like a normal adult. You don't get to respond like a fucking loon. So if you are one of our young listeners, please spare yourself yeah. the pain. Yeah. Don't don't impose it on other people. This is like a one I'm so big on. I just think rejection, like yo, I I don't nothing to do with mental illness. Let's be very clear. Yeah, with that. I know that. But Tom, uh, see, yeah, it has nothing to do with, like you keep saying a psychotic, like that has nothing to do with it. There's people that are like, feel like they're, that you're obligated to like, that they're, that they deserve something. And I think that has nothing to do with 
Well, well, yeah, largely I agree with you, and that's the person that I'm trying to appeal to. But I, I do honestly feel that there is a large amount of this that is connected to, to – uh, uh, mental illnesses that it is part of the diagnosis, like borderline or schizoaffective. It is in the language. If you go look it up, it's like part of how they diagnose these things. I'm not making excuses for anybody. I'm just saying that like when I hear that somebody had like a man or woman had like a completely outsized response to something, I immediately go, oh, are, do they have a diagnosis? Are they well? Because that's like that's like part and Tom, I'm not disagreeing. There's so many people that are just entitled dickheads, but like, yeah, but, is- but I, I just, I think it's like a part of this conversation that doesn't get adequately addressed. Yeah. Like when we talk about the mental health issue and stuff, like it, because we don't want to make excuses for anybody. Like for example, there's a fella. The, the, I mean, some people are just fucking spoiled brats and don't know how to hear no. No debate. Mm-hmm. No debate. More but, often than not. I think too, yeah, oh, not no. really but, acknowledging the power dynamics that are at play too that are just like innately in our society where it can be like, right, part of that culture. I think that's a part two where it's like this is normal. Like like it's you see it in like porn, you see it in movies, media, like that's what we're normalized to. And I think that that's to be acknowledged too where uh, if that's your only lived experience is watching it through, you know, a screen or you, your family, whatever it be, that's important to acknowledge as well. And like, like, don't get me wrong. Like there's obviously some things that need to be impacted there that may be or may not be related to mental illness. But I think that uh, we also, I think it's an easy out to say someone's, you know, mentally ill or, xyz uh, when it comes to this topic or any like topics like this when without acknowledging the actual power dynamics and how society functions on a daily basis um there anything else any other points not that we were going to be able to encapsulate (laughs) this entire conversation in a two hour I i mean i don't think we've solved this in any way in you know two hours and some time um are there any things – and I think, you know, this can be an ongoing – and this should be an ongoing conversation here, in your scene, in other places. You know, like – and I think, you know, I speak for the other two um, hosts that, like, I think we're all comfortable with making – you know, using whatever kind of platform we have to make sure this conversation is not something that, like you said, you know, it comes up for two weeks every year. And like you kind of like pick off like those the, – the tumors and then you're not dealing with the underlying issue. And I think that's happening too often that like Instagram accounts pop up with with um, stories of, of – from survivors and, and Twitter accounts and all sort of stuff. But like, OK, so we get those people out. It's not like, all right, so now we're safe because for, you know, every – 10 people to get run out there's 10 people to take their spot that are just as bad yeah i really don't think that this conversation should be like the purge you know where it happens once a year and people feel comfortable coming forward because everybody else is we should be able to normalize these conversations so that you know we can talk about it without you know i know and the the part about it is a lot of people feel really validated and feel comforted by the bravery of other people to come forward in these conversations. And it's really difficult to say like, you know, let's make this a normal thing, but we just need to be able to 
uh, have a community of support so that people feel comfortable coming forward any day of the week or the month or the year instead of just, you know, when an Instagram was made and, you know, several people got outed should be a normal conversation. Right. Right. And I think that's a good transition to, to what you and Kate were working on. Yeah. You don't have to feel like, like, you don't have to feel like you have to make an account or you don't have to feel like you have to make a post in order to have these discussions. And like, and that's just, that's me being biased. Like I obviously felt pressured into doing that cause uh, I, like, but it's like, there's other ways. So if you, I just want to encourage if anyone doesn't feel like what's happening or how it's done is what fits right with your situation to own that and not be afraid to like discuss those feelings. And if the people you are discussing those feelings with, like don't agree or make you feel any sort of shame, I think to realize that you're talking to maybe the not right people in that situation. And there, I hope that there's people you feel comfortable with talking to that would not put that on you. Um, there's not one right, wrong way to do this or handle these situations. And it's all going to look unique. And that's the, that's why it's so hard. And that's why it's not so easy to fix in one setting. Absolutely. And do you want to talk about the, uh, the technological stuff that you worked on? Kate? <laughs> the technological. Oh, you're, I mean, you're the coder. I, I wouldn't have been able to do that. So that's, I'm quite impressed. <laughs> Don't worry. It's uh, super easy. And I encourage anyone to do this. Um, YouTube, man, it's, it's the high, it's the future of higher ed. Uh, <laughs> like it's <laughs> coming from a higher ed professional. Um, yeah. If you, yeah, we, we've created a space because like, obviously we knew we we're going to be coming on here and people listen to this. We wanted to create something where it's not like we have our, two hours of talking and it's dropped and like you don't know what to do with it. So we've created a platform uh, where hopefully we can have some more resources. Like we said, we're not experts. We're not perfect at this, but at least there is some literature. There's some, there's an FAQ, like frequently asked questions. So like, what do I do if someone I love is called out for this? You know, those things that I feel like people are so ashamed to ask authentically uh, because it's so easy to get shamed or look like you're stupid or whatever narrative your brain wants to tell you. Uh, we hope we can address there and we're not going to get it right 100% of the time. But I think a lot of people have been working hard for a really long time to have this conversation and it's want to be able to make it stick. And I don't know if it's because of the local aspect of scenes and how, things stay within the Pacific Northwest versus, you know, the East coast, whatever, but just having some sort of one place where you can go and hopefully people will create their own platforms where it's just an education opportunity. It's not just a black and white thing. It's like, this is a process and here are some resources and hopefully people can tell us what we need to shape it to look like and, be involved in that but um yeah we just want to have some sort of something where everyone can go and read more about it and i think it's important to have it more specific to the scene as well because i think it's easy to not identify with like i'm just thinking of like harvey weinstein or you know 
these big names or where it's like, ah, that's not relevant. But I think it's important to have it specific to hardcore and uh, be like, hey, this is a thing that's happening and we need to address it and we need to be educated and we need to help people, you know, acknowledge the situations at hand. So that's the attempt, that's the intent, but, you know, we'll see what happens with it. Do we have, do you have the URL set up yet? We have a little bitly that uh, we can send. It's going to be called, let's see here. It's going to be a bitly and it's just a better way in all caps. And maybe we can uh, attach that to the description in this or some sort yeah. of something to where we can make it clickable rather than you having to Google to figure out how to get there. Um, that way it's just like you can click it, you can favorite it, read it for later, see how it progresses, be a part of it, whatever. But as of right now, we're uh, a bit.ly, so B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash a better way on caps. But that might change. It may not. But we'll make sure to make it accessible so people can click on it and see um, the education and, you know, just the stuff that's out there that at least we have our hands on. And like I said, if there's anything we don't, please send it our way and we have it set up to where it's relatively easy to do that. Fantastic. Um, Anything else that we want to discuss? No, unless, unless the ladies have something they want to say, I just want to say thank you for joining us again. uh, Hope that we didn't hope that we asked smart questions uh, and didn't attempt to make you a thought like the end authority. I hope that everybody listening uh, it, it looks into what your perspective is on this and uh, also tw- 20 other people's. Uh, so th- thank you very much for giving us your time though. Yeah. There's no, there's no yeah. dumb questions. Like that's the message we want to get out there. With yeah. like, please ask questions because it's the fear of not like sounding stupid that I think it's perpetuating these behaviors and please ask, be vulnerable, be willing to have those hard conversations, I think, because that's the only way we're going to normalize this, like those hard conversations to make sure that these behaviors aren't happening. Emma and Kate, I I really appreciate your time and thanks for coming on and hopefully we'll talk to you again sometime soon. Awesome. Thank you for having us. This was great. Thank you, Emma and Kate. Thanks for doing that. We appreciate it.